school, this level education, this level income, this level, uh, da, 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 knowing and knowing everyone that I know and knowing all of them and knowing all of the other uh, people of my age, my demographic, my income level, my education level, my with my, you know, and they know what all of the other um, people who like me, and there might be a, a million, you know, a million people similar to me in my group, and they know what all of them are searching for next. And maybe they're one week ahead of me and they've realized, ah, so based on the cohort that you're in, you're likely to want this next. With, uh, I think it could be even smarter than that because, yes, you have all of the general demographic information in terms of, you know, your ethnicity, where you grew up, blah, 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 but then also your experiences beyond yeah. that, right? Yeah, yeah. So based, on, be based on your search history yeah. and everyone else who has that same search history, here's what you're likely to search for next. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Sorry, uh, Tyler, we've got Faraz and Ranjit. In the oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. They've passed up of the hour and there are some folks in the audience. Okay. Yeah, we're rolling. We're rolling. It, was Nas. it was Nostradamus, which only makes sense from a hip hop perspective. <laughs> but I knew that there was an old school hip hop um, song that incorporated Nostradamus, but it was Nostradamus back in the day. Yes. Okay. Dr. Hedy, Anika, Chetana, and whoever else you want to join us, please raise your hands. Okay. Now. I'm letting it's a free for all. Jump up on stage, everybody. Here we go. Yep. So we're at the top of the hour. Where's my air horn? Let's get into it. Here's the biggest headline at this very moment across the interwebs, the, the series of pipes that make up the Internet. Um, the biggest story at this moment is that Facebook, for the first time, shares a report on the most widely viewed domains, links, and posts and pages on Facebook in the U.S. ever. A video of two cats walking, tails intertwined, looking like best friends <laughs> is the most shared piece of content in all of Facebook. And, and of course, the more interesting, there, there's two interesting things is, you know, the answer to what, what are people sharing and looking at on Facebook. Uh, that's interesting in and of itself. But then, very interesting that Facebook's never made this available before. So uh, a resource site for the Green Bay Packers alumni, two different UNICEF links related to COVID-19 and the e-commerce shop called Reppin for Christ that sells gospel themed T-shirts. These were just a few of the most viewed links on Facebook in the past three months, according to a new data set of the most widely viewed content on Facebook the company released on Wednesday. This is the first time Facebook is releasing this type of data, which includes the most viewed domains, links, posts, and pages from the second quarter of 2021. So that's the months of April, May, and June. Facebook framed the report as an extension of its ongoing transparency efforts, but the information contained in it also serves other purpose, countering the idea that far-right pages and accounts dominate the site in the U.S. Facebook executives have been frustrated for some time, by the way, journalists and researchers have interpreted data from its Crowd Tangle tool. As the New York Times' Kevin Roos shows through its Facebook's top 10 Twitter account, posts from conservative personalities like Ben Shapiro and Dan Bongino receive by far the most daily engagement on posts with likes in them. And that's true. And I do see, I do see that Twitter account and I do see the top 10 each day. It's absolutely dominated by Don Bongino and Ben Shapiro who are, um, they make little videos each day. And it's, you know, they're incredibly far right, 
yeah, in their in their content. Um, and it's kind of newsy-ish, commentish-ish. And uh, in the face of criticism, so because that's the only glimpse into what's popular on Facebook, journalists understandably assume um, that Facebook is overwhelmingly the most popular content is far right leaning stuff. And that's why COVID misinformation and uh, the dots seem to connect. So to combat this uh, uh, kind of appearance, Facebook is now kind of forced to become more transparent about what is actually going on in terms of data on their platform and what's actually being viewed. It's not that they ever wanted to release this, but data about, you know, what the most viewed links and stories and posts are, but they want to combat the impression or image uh, that they are now developing that they're this far right platform. And so that's why, um, it, although interestingly, it's fair to assume <laughs> that if, the data wasn't in their favor, they wouldn't release this data. And um, and it would be great if this was somehow verifiable data. That would be nice. But the, the story continues, in the face of criticism, Facebook contends that posts with links represent a vanishingly small percentage of content on the site and that reach, not engagement, is a better measure for how widespread content actually is. Ah, there's the distinction. So the <laughs> there's two types of ways to measure what is actually the most uh, top 10 content on Facebook. One is wh which has the most um, reach, meaning visibility, what was seen the most. The other is which is engaged with the most, meaning liked and shared and commented on. And so they're claiming that reach is more important than engagement. And what we were talking about is what's the most engaging content, which gets the most likes and shares and comments. And that's the videos we were talking about from Ben Shapiro and Don Bongino. This far right content gets a lot of engagement. But what's actually has the most reach or visibility is, you know, cat cat videos still, you know, 20 years later. So, um and they're claiming that reach is more important. I don't know that I agree with that. <laughs> I, I might, I'm of the mind that perhaps engagement is more important than reach, but we could debate that all day. Executives have strategized internally about how to address this issue, according to a report by the New York Times. While Facebook executives stopped short of saying it, out, it, it outright on a call with reporters Wednesday. Oh, by saying it outright. While Facebook executives stopped short of saying it outright on a call with reporters Wednesday, sharing this data seems to be part of that plan. Here's the quote. There's a few gaps in the data that's been used to date, and the narrative that's emerged is quite simply wrong, says Guy Rosen, Facebook's vice president of integrity, in response to a question about whether this is Facebook's way of pushing back on the narrative about far-right dominance on the platform. CrowdTangle is focused on interactions, meaning engagement. CrowdTangle only has a limited set of certain pages and groups. We are creating a report that provides a broad view. According to the report, some 87% of the content on newsfeed doesn't include a link, meaning it wouldn't be represented in the Facebook top 10 list. Even the most viewed posts on that Facebook is now sharing also only accounted for 0.1% of all posts viewed in people's news feeds in the, la in the U.S. last quarter. That's because Facebook wrote most of what people see on Facebook is personalized for them specifically and wouldn't likely be viewed by many other users. 
So, Tyler. Uh, yes. An interesting view of this is that okay, so we have the the what we believe to be the right wing and their content that we believe that that's the most transparent part uh, in the political spectrum. This is really really interesting because the thing is that we believe that the uh, right wing is the most viewed. And in fact, there is nothing from the other side of the agenda, nothing. Uh, we are comparing uh, right wing with fucking lolcats. Seriously, we, don't we have any politicians on the other part of the playing, playing field that also are visible? No. And the ah. same, same thing we see in Sweden. We have a lot of uh, right wing uh, influencers and podcasts that get a lot of exposure, but nothing from the other playing field. I see what you, you mean. Done. Okay, so I guess you're making the argument that the well, we in America we do it. There's a, a leftish version of that rightish content, which was I think we most people uh, kind of point out Fox News as kind of the a pioneer in. Um, really um, pandering to one particular part, side of the aisle and uh, and made good business of it. And so that's pe other people have been inspired and taken that ball and ran with it um, even further down the field. And then and in, in the U.S., we do have Rachel Maddow. It used to be, what was his name? Um, the guy with the glasses with the uh, Keith Olbermann. And he kind of he got uh, kind of canceled, and then Rachel Maddow sort of filled in 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 his uh, in his uh, vacancy, and she kind of represents the a bit of the further left perspective. We have some of that. It's not as strong. It's not as engaging. It's not as, uh, um, yeah, yeah. It's not as engaging but, but the, generally. The it's not just left and right, though. It's information and disinformation. And I just retweeted. It's it's now a, a couple a month or two old, but I retweeted to Tech News Around the World this uh, research paper that shows that ad-supported communication networks such as Facebook are as much a danger to civilization as climate change is because <laughs> they spread. And it's not a joke, by the way, even though it sounds no. like it is. But it's because they, they uh, humans develop the ability to filter through disinformation and provide information to leaders like of your tribe or your country or whatever. And so that we made the right decisions and we survived. But now because of Facebook and everything that Tyler was just talking about, um, they actually spread, it gets more engagement, they make more money. So they spread disinformation more than they spread information. And that's why half a million people died of COVID and it's still happening. It's kind of crazy. Like we know the solution and people aren't getting vaccinated. Why is that? That's kind of crazy. And we're not addressing climate change, even though we know what to do. And it would be you know, good for the economy if we did it, too. So why is that? Well, it's a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons is because people are being fed disinformation because certain companies are making more money from that than they make from information. It's it's a pretty scary thing. It's what I don't know what we do about it, but it's, it's, it does worry me. Quite a bit. Anyway, I retweeted that research article. If anyone wants to take a look at it, it's a tweet yeah, I, uh, thing that you can see and it summarizes it. Yeah, I, I had an, another reflection regarding this puny little country with our ice bears called Sweden and the size of Chicago is that 
in Sweden, as I claimed, I see a lot of information from the right wing in all media everywhere, except in the mainstream media and the public services. And the public services, uh, they have been uh, blamed for being very, very leftish for, for very long in Sweden. So, yeah, we have some kind of counterpart, in, at least in this tiny little country, but we don't have any influencers on the strong part in Sweden, at least. You weren't done. Yeah, there's a really funny cartoon I saw recently of the four horses, the four horsemen of the apocalypse of like famine and death and whatever. And then there's a new fifth horseman, which is misinformation. <laughs> and the other four horsemen are like, who are you? And he's like, I'm misinformation. It's the new... Fifth, the fifth. Uh, just said that was a good one. It, it's a hilarious cartoon. It doesn't translate well verbally, but visually, it's quite hysterical. But very apropos. Very yeah. apropos. So the next. Uh, Tyler, this is yes. Really it's uh, quite funny that Facebook talk about transparency, especially related to this news and uh, what information they share. I can tell you my experience. I have an app in which we aggregate news from around thousand sources and rank it according to the social media reach and then push it to our audience. So we have around 1,000 plus articles we publish every day from different sources, but we can't have 1,000 notifications. So what I do is that I check the reach for all these articles in social media and push it. So very lately, I think it was like two months ago, uh, there was an API from Facebook uh, to find out the reach, the number of comments, the number of likes, shares, they shut down the API. So I don't see that what is the transparency they are talking about. Because if we have these kind of sources, then we can see that whether what Facebook is talking about is right wing or left wing, whether that is valid or not. But in this case, they don't have any open information which claims that what they are talking is true. But you, you yeah, so shares versus uh, views, which is engagement versus uh, reach. And, and that's why I said I actually think um, engagement is a better thing to track than views because if people view stuff, it doesn't uh, much matter. Like in content that is viewed but not engaged with doesn't really have much impact. And what we're interested in is what content is having any kind of actual impact. And that happens to be, you know, the more the right-leaning stuff. So they're, they're kind of, I, I don't necessarily... Um, you know, take their their argument. Sorry to interrupt you, Frost. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say there was uh, there was another article that came out about them taking off twenty million posts regarding misinformation on COVID. And one of the questions I had with that is, okay, well, they say they took out twenty million posts um, around misinformation, but who regulates that? And coming from Ringjit's point, I mean, who who tracks that, and how can you track that? And if they've now even and taking off. Raz, you're in and out. That's okay. Having access to other apps that are information. What kind of misinformation is it? What's left? What's not? I mean, this is a this is a tough topic to tackle, right? There should be a body that should actually be governing these um, social media platforms on everything that they say on what's true and what's not. That's just too sensitive thought from my end so yeah i'll leave it at that that's that's, that's exactly true what uh, for us told. at least at least in twitter we can see what is trending it can be pushed we can push it as trending but at least we can see that what is trending 
but in the facebook case we can't really tell what is trending and what is what story is going up well this is why yes there was a headline in this room yesterday uh, uh well the the article on bbc news came out 18 hours ago so maybe it was after this room but it says twitter tests misleading post report button for the first time uh twitter introducing a way to report posts as misleading Many of the large social media networks have been accused of not doing enough to fight the spread of disinformation during COVID pandemic and U.S. election campaigns. Twitter reporting function has never offered a clear option for such posts. It said the new feature was only a test and will only be available in a few countries to begin with. Some people in Australia, South Korea and the U.S. will now see a option for its its misleading when trying to report a tweet, the tech giant said. It also warned users that the system may not have a significant effect, and I will explain why in a second. We're assessing if this is an effective approach, so we're starting small, the company said in its, and we're not, we may not take action on and cannot respond to each report in the experiment, but your input will help us identify trends so that we can improve the speed and scale of broader misinformation at work. So here's why. They are adding a an ability for people to flag if something is misinformation or not. But it's not going to have any effect. They're they're even admitting that. Don't expect any effect when you tell us that this is misinformation or not. Why is that? So why do this? And why choose America, South Korea, and Australia? And obviously, South Korea is an interesting one in that mix. Obviously, you would choose America. That's where all of this is stemming from. And and Australia is also claiming, you know, they're they're also having incredibly strong issues with regard to misinformation. So when you do any kind, anyone who's ever done any kind of research knows you need a sort of uh, neutral, um, you know, unaffected uh, data set to measure against. Right. So when you you have a placebo. Right. So South Korea is super interesting in this regard because South Korea has government mandated verified accounts. Every user is known. Everybody has their social security. There's no anonymous social media users in South Korea. So there's likely to South Korea is incredibly unique. They don't have a misinformation problem because everybody's known to the state. That's on the platform. They have to register with their social security numbers. So that's why South Korea is part of this study. Because what they're really testing is do when somebody is, when when a population is verified users, do they have much less information? And that's what Twitter wants to know. And the answer, of course, is yes. And they're going to find that out quantitatively through this study where they're going to now allow you to click if something is misinformation or not in America and Australia and South Korea. And then they're going to see, oh, shit, Americans and Australians have a whole lot more people claiming misinformation. And indeed, with a a population of verified accounts, have a whole lot less misinformation. And that's what they want to find out because they're about to turn on identification requirements and they want to see if what the effect of that is going to be and this is a very clever way to do that preemptively. And um, so it's a nice little test. And that's why Korea's in the test. And 
you're, you're going to be telling them, you know, uh, the level of misinformation and what types of information, and they're going to collect all that data. They're not going to remove the misinformation. That's not at all what this is about. This is about finding, as they say, uh, trends of misinformation amongst different geographies, one of which happens to have uh, identity verification turned on. Oh, what a wild coincidence. Maybe this test has more to do with uh, how identity verification affects misinformation. That's what this study is about, because they know they're about to uh, they're considering turning on wide scale, you know, instant uh, identity verification for everybody, because they know that's a huge, 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 huge issue in the. And by the way, Tinder yesterday announced they're turning on identity verification, authenticated identities for their users. And they said for the time being, it's optional. Why would they say that? Because they know there was a chance that everyone was going to freak out and jump off of Tinder instantaneously. And they didn't they couldn't risk the future of the entire company by sending out a headline saying, uh, we're going to turn on identity verification for everybody instantly, and they can't risk the entire company on a single headline like that. And so there. And by the way, why send out that headline yesterday saying we're going to turn it on three months from now? That's a little peculiar. Companies don't do that. Companies don't say we're going to add a new feature three months from now. That doesn't happen. Companies say we're we adding a new feature starting tomorrow, next week, today. They don't do three months from now. That's very uncommon. And they also don't say it's optional, like as Tinder did. And Tinder did both yesterday, exactly 24 hours ago in this room. They said, three months from now, we're going to turn on an optional thing of uh, authenticating identities on Tinder so that you can't freak out. So it won't force you to think, ah, I need to get the fuck off this platform. No, it's optional. And that's why they took great care to make sure that optional was part of the headline in that story. So they didn't risk ruining the entire company. Companies have been ruined for simple decisions like this. And they couldn't risk a huge backlash and a whole uprising and mutiny of Tinder users abandoning the platform for some other platform because they don't want to have their identity verified. So they, they safely put in the word optional. They said it's months from now. There was no real blowback. People didn't freak out. It was not a big deal. So they're going to go ahead with that. And, you know, on a, on a dating app, it's, it's actually a feature to be verified because there's so many to you, profiles from your perspective. No, 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 as a user, as a user to of you. a dating app. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people have, have that opinion. Saying, a lot of people have the opposite opinion. Right. But to give you the option to do it, means you know you can attract more people Correct. on the app because people will know you're real and not just fake right thing. so it's actually some it's actually people have that opinion some people have the opposite opinion so i have another view of the whole thing the thing is here that go ahead you on the phone yeah uh the thing is uh, i have another opinion on this one the thing is here also is that uh, what this will probably kill is the 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 people that are unfaithful the thing is you can't start up a fake profile uh, to if go you're married. catfishing and fight fi yeah you're married for example or, or in a relation or, or go, go to town and you actually you, and the thing is here that we when the thing is here that it, over and over we have seen that people that have been out uh, fishing right. on, on the wrong grounds has been called out 
both on Grinder and on, on on this app as well, and this will stop. Uh, the the applications like the, this Milan thing that actually sets up um, unfaithful relations, uh, they will grow like hell from this one. When when the the official platforms turns on, the 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 other alternative platforms will probably grow. You and done right. So there's a, that's a fantastic example of a ho- millions of users who are like fuck that. There's no fucking way in hell. This is a huge bad turn. Uh, we don't want identity verification because we uh, intentionally have to use fake accounts because we're married. So again, Dan, p- please understand. There's an, a huge no, population. But it's of optional. I'm, ta- I'm talking about it optional. I understand. For now, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, I think some of them is it doesn't. Uh, which one is it that does verification for everybody? The the one that's marriage-minded, I can't remember the name of it right now, and, but it's a well-known one. Right, and but, if, if uh, that actually was a real advantage, that would be the app that people were using, but they're not. So there, that's all you need to know, that, that the, a huge percentage of people don't prefer that. No, some of them do have it. Often. Yeah, and they're not the leading platforms, Dan. Uh, well, Tinder, I don't know. I don't use it, so I don't know, but... Uh... We'll see, I guess. But when it becomes, it will be interesting to see if when you do get verified for those who want to do it, whether they end up doing better on the platform and getting more more dates or whatever. That'd be interesting to see. Yes, the, it solves some problems. It might create more problems than it solves. And they're very aware of this. So that's what, why they're doing it. What, the way what, you're reminding me of the expression from Eric Severide. Uh, from a long time ago, no one knows who he is anymore, but he said uh, the chief cause of problems is solutions. Well, now you're starting to make more sense, sir. That's exactly right. So, uh, I have a closing thing here. One of the things I can see as a, a real good thing is here is that if you're into this and you don't want to get catfished or whatever, you could probably turn on only show me verified accounts. Of course. Only let me be seen by verified Absolutely. accounts. Absolutely. Then we have a totally different game. Yeah, they do the same for COVID and now as well. Tinder allows you to only see people who have been vaccinated and vice versa. So that, that feature is already in place. So How do you validate that? <laughs> exactly right. So it's a form of identity verification as well, but I, we have to assume it's based on trust. They're not actually verifying it. It's just you're opting in to say that you have. So the it would be interesting if they added that to the verification process itself. That would be kind of wild as well, adding your vaccine passport data. But the interesting bit is all of these experiments now happening on Tinder and on Twitter related to identity verification, and they're being they're taking baby steps in this process, even though they're being a little... Um, uh, you know, I'm not wildly transparent because they don't want to scare folks away, understandably. And 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 it's an interesting co- because there is a lot to be gained potentially by having everybody be verified on disinformation. As we were just saying, is in America at least and in Australia uh, a huge effing problem, a BFD, a big fucking deal, as we say, because my God, the the the, the the um, political tensions in the U.S. to some people notable are, degree. People are just people are. It just allows people to be rotten without any accountability. Right. If you go on well, Facebook, not, Chris, right, it's not like, just that. It's it's Facebook's head of 
security is saying it's Russia in China. He's calling out and the head of the FBI and the head of the yeah. MI6 in England are all calling out Russia and China as abusing their platforms with misinformation. Intentionally know, but... so to cause the dis the cause the disintegration of society in America specifically they've they've weaponized the social media platforms against themselves and the way to combat that obviously is to turn on identity verifications for all users and that would be an incredibly efficient way to neutralize that weaponized mechanic so the question is if that's an obvious benefit and that's a huge potential benefit it's hard to understate how how potentially important that benefit would be but are of course like like dan said this solution of course would uh, initiate its own new set of problems that humans historically are terrible at anticipating and that's what we need to do the mental hygiene exercise of of theorizing what are the potential downsides when everybody's forced to reveal their identities we don't really know um but we're likely to find out and now we're starting to see the tests slowly starting to happen so um, but my suspicion okay. is d due to the, the nature of looking historically at how these processes unfold, the potential upside is far more obvious than the potential downsides. So we're going to jump into the pool head first and, you know, hit our head on the, and find out it's a, it's a one foot, you know, one foot deep pool and crack our skull on the bottom of this, you know, pool that we were so eager to jump into without calculating the depth of the pool as usual. That's just the normal process of how we, how we, you know, that's why these solutions make more problems because it was, it looked like a pool, it looked great. We jumped head in and smacked our head. Turns out it's, you know, a very shallow <laughs> pool. Go ahead, Yuan. Yeah, it, it was a blue painted concrete slab. <laughs> one of the things that <laughs> one of the things that actually hits me right now when, when you, you you're going on your rant is that one of the things that I, as part of my environment where I work, I work with people that has been romance scammed and catfished, and that's what I actually try to help people that have happened to do that. And the thing is that this will probably kill. Uh, the, the business, if people could say that I only want to be, get contacted and have relations with people that with verified accounts, the we will have a huge amount of free work resources in Nigeria doing romance scams uh, very quickly because uh, you don't want to date a, a former major from the U.S. Air Force that named Mahapmahira in from some country and doesn't look like an American anymore. You and um. Dan, what's your green tech headline for today? I actually have a positive one here. It's uh, sent it out. Uh, there's some good news out of Europe, you know, after the, the, the pandemic hit and then, of course, energy usage dropped, but now it's coming back. But in Europe, it's renewables that actually went up even during the pandemic, which is interesting. And uh, fossil fuels are recovering somewhat from the pandemic but they're actually still below where they were before the pandemic. So it shows it's not obviously happening all over the world and we're not even going down even close to fast enough, but it does show that uh, at least in Europe uh, with, with their policies, the trends are in the right direction. Uh, and, and there's also more energy demand, but even with that increased demand, fossil fuel use is still down relative to pre-pandemic. So that's that's some good news. I just tweeted that one out to the Tech News Twitter account so you can see this chart that Dan's referring to of the difference between the demand and, you know, the fossils and nuclear and renewables and renewables are up and 
demand it did go way down and now it's back up to where it was pre-pandemic and uh, and fossil usage did go way down and it's coming back up and nuclear did go down but renewables are going up and up which is fantastic and, and globally actually it's oil usage which went down it actually seems to have peaked actually uh, oil you know, which is more cars and things like that mm-hmm. um, because of less plane actually, right i didn't hear what you said less planes less flights less flights I couldn't hear it. I'm sorry. Less airplanes, less flights. Oh, less airplanes. Oh, less flight. Yeah, but no, it's also cars switching to EVs and well, and more fuel efficiency and whatever. But that 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 trend and gas gets more expensive. People use less of it. So yeah, you know, um, a related point. You remember we were talking about the Ola uh, electric moped scooter out of India, which got a hundred thousand pre-orders, kind of in the first. 24 or 48 hours, if you can correct me, Vinay. And it's a very incredibly stylish, fully electric scooter. And, you know, they're not that popular in Europe outside of Italy, although they're wildly popular in Southeast Asia. In fact, I found some statistics that in Thailand, for example, we have um, about uh, 10 million cars, but 100 million scooters. So 10 to 1. And Thailand has now passed uh, that it, they're going to require all scooters to be fully electric by 2030. You were not allowed to sell combustion engine scooters after 2030. By the way, there are no electric scooters today. <laughs> There's, that's not really an option to buy. They're, they don't exist yet to even buy, but yet the gas ones that are the, the only ones you can buy are going to be banned uh, for sale after 2030. So Ola... It has an incredibly bright future indeed if uh, given Thailand's banning of combustion engine scooters by 2030, Indonesia's banning them by 2050. And hopefully they bring that up. Tyler, quick question. Yes, Russ. On In Thailand, what's the number one current scooter company? Honda Click. And two, which Honda Click. And then the, secondly, the up and coming startup that's going to be doing the EV scooters Ola, in the future. It's that, called Ola. O L A, and the website is OlaElectric.com. Okay. The same one from India, yeah? Indian one, yeah. The same one. Okay. And they, right. Thanks a lot. They're bro. backed by SoftBank and Tiger Global. They just got 100,000 orders in the first 48 hours. I'm going to order them myself. They're actually cheaper than Honda Clicks and have all the same specs. They're nearly identical in every way. In terms of specs, in terms of top speed, um, you know their 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 range. Uh, it basically has the same range as a you know if you fill the gas tank on a scooter. So it's just it, although they're electric, and they're cheaper than the combustion engine ones, shockingly. But that, that that's because I believe they've not announced it yet. But Ola, one of the features of these bikes are they're like little Teslas. These little bikes they work off of your smartphone, so. You don't need keys. There are no keys for the bike. You you walk up to the bike. It knows who you are based on your phone when you get close to the bike. And it greets you. It says, hello, Tyler. And then you can sit on the bike and run away. And as you walk off the bike, it locks the bike. And um, But it also has all of the... It has GPS built into it. So you can see where the bike is at any time. And because of the... You can have guest accounts on the bike. And that tells me one very interesting thing that they've not announced yet. Because Ola in india it's like an uber app and it's it's a wildly popular app like uber 
So could you not then, ha if I buy these, you know, these hundred thousand people who ordered these Ola bikes, when they're not using the bike, allow other people to, uh, you know, unlock it and drive away on it and pay uh, as a uh, per kilometer or per hour as a to rent the bike. And now we have uh, much more utilization of these bikes. And that could be a really interesting uh, thing. And then they, of course, as the platform, get a cut of that transaction. And that's how they're going to make money long term is not That's why they're selling the bikes at cost. They're not really making money on the bikes. They're going to make money on the fact that uh, through this kind of Uber, right, you know, uh, sharing economy of these bikes. I, I think that's true, even even more fantastic, because now you've not only electrified the bikes you've reduced the need for bikes generally for the whole entire market you don't need a hundred thousand motorbikes everyone doesn't need their own bike you could potentially have half the bikes uh, around everywhere and they, they become like those uh ride sharing bicycles you know, those e-bikes all around europe now you've got uh, a city full of these um electric um mopeds around town i i, I hope this works out the way that i think it does i think it would be brilliant so that we covered the Tyler, can you yes. get some for Coconut Beach so that when I'm there, I can try? I already said I'm doing that. Oh, yes. When is it delivering? They're delivering in October, they said. Okay. What colors do you choose? Uh, the matte black. They have shiny black. Can you choose one? And they have matte black. So I, I already have uh, seven matte black Honda Clicks. And so I'm just going to get the matte black to match my existing... Do you know what's really interesting hmm. is that, um, I don't know, in my mind, I thought they were like little chair scooters, but these are the motorbikes that we see everywhere, right? right? And and so I'm thinking about grab drivers, you know, people that deliver food right. and, you know, things that we buy online. And so in the sharing economy, then I think it would provide more opportunities for people to, to deliver similar to, you know, I, I believe the headline that you shared in the previous session, and I believe that in Nigeria, um, they were providing um, leases to people who wanted to drive for Uber. But I think that it would just create more opportunities if the sharing platform works with these particular vehicles, because they are everywhere. Hey, Lakeisha, to add on to that, Grab does do Grab rentals, actually, for drivers to encourage drivers to um, actually drive for Grab. For motorbikes oh. as well? Uh, I think it's only in Singapore for now. Uh -huh. uh, I can't speak to the other countries, but yeah, they do that here. And I'm sure if they figure it out for the other countries, I'm sure you might see it one day. Um, Jay, I want to ask a question. Remember the last time you had this e-bicycle thing in Singapore and it was a disaster? People just threw it all around the yeah. place? Yeah, I mean, that or was also China's mobile got also kicked out as well, right? So it wasn't just yeah. Grab. So I think it's just an issue with the government and how they handle the roads. I think, Tyler, you made a point that you need to almost shape the roads like what China's doing. And I don't think Singapore has done a good job with that. Right. I, I, that's coming. That has to be coming. And, um, and China is doing that uh, as they are known to kind of understand these issues and make the necessary changes before everybody else. So I, I just have to assume that's going to come soon. So the next big headline at the moment is from Vice that Apple says neural hash flaw found by researchers in their child abuse image detection system was in a generic version of the software and not in the final version it plans to use. Apple said the version of 
the neural hash analyzed by researchers, not the final. Yeah. So apparently, well, let's go ahead and read a bit of this. Uh, researchers claim they have probed a particular part of Apple's new system to detect and flag child sexual abuse material and were able to trick it into saying two images that were clearly different shared the same cryptographic fingerprint. But Apple says this is part of its system. But Apple says this part of its system is not supposed to be secret, that the overall system is designed to account for this to happen in general, and that the analyzed code is not the final implementation that will be used with the system itself and is instead a generic version. Ah, so Apple kind of open sourced or let people have a peek into the system so that it was more transparent. And in doing so, researchers found what they flagged as potential problems. And then as a response to that, Apple says, ah, yeah, but this system we're letting you see is not the real final version. We're just, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're going to uh, fix that, of course. So interesting, interesting, interesting. Why wouldn't you let them see the final version, by the way, I guess is the natural response to that. Um, some people on Twitter are saying someone found Apple's hash system already embedded in iOS 14.3 and later and managed to export the model and rebuild it in Python. How many months until there's a uh, GA again that creates innocuous images uh, that they're detected as child abuse images? That's uh, actually a great point. And others are saying that, yeah, this is just uh problematic as people assumed we'll we'll see how this shakes out um and then uh, balaji says on twitter paradoxic paradoxically this whole debacle may make it harder to do what apple nominally set out to do under many reasonable models of the world many of the positives of this billion person dragnet will be false positives or planted positives and indeed that's those are two of the main concerns so the next big article is that Robinhood did its Q2 revenue. They're up 131% year over year. And um, the stock is down 9% after hours. Robinhood says crypto accounted for 52% of all transaction-based revenue in Q2 and 62% of crypto revenue came from Dogecoin. Holy shit, that's a lot of Dogecoin on Robinhood. The next is uh, a profile of... Andre Shuminko, who advertised internal Apple documents and devices on forums while being an Apple informant and who says Apple took advantage of him. He spent years inside the iPhone leaks and jailbreak community. He was also spying for Apple. He's sort of a double agent of sorts with regard to Apple leaks and information about upcoming devices and who's trading and all of this information, the secret ecosystem of trading Apple secrets. And he was simultaneously shit leaking stuff and um, whistleblowing and call in and 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 causing trouble for other leakers <laughs> and notifying Apple when people are leaking stuff. But he himself was leaking stuff, a true class act. So uh, for more than a year, an active member of a community that traded in illicitly obtained internal Apple documents and devices was also acting as an informant for Apple on Twitter and in Discord channels for the loosely defined Apple internal community that trades leaked information and stolen prototypes. He advertised leaked apps, manuals, and stolen devices for sale. But unbeknownst to other members of the community, he was sharing with Apple personal information of people who 
like himself, sold stolen Apple prototypes from China. Apple employees who leaked information online, journalists who had relationship with leakers and sellers, and anything that he thought the company would find interesting and worth investigating. Um, so he's just making huge problems for all of his uh, uh, associates who were doing exactly what he was doing by telling uh, telling Apple of their behaviors that he himself was doing. Just to just good 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 folks in those uh, those data leaker communities. The double agent, Andre. So tweeting that one out for those who want to read the whole drama. And then the next one is from The Verge that Windows has made changing default browsers in Windows 11 unnecessarily complex. What a surprise. Drawing criticisms from Firefox and Opera, as they would do, because that's who um, people would likely change to. And Windows is making it difficult for you to change your default browser to Firefox and Opera. And now Firefox and Opera are saying, Microsoft, you're doing it again. This is why uh, you got shut down, you know, back in the 90s. You were not making it easy to get off Internet Explorer. And Internet Explorer became 98% of browser usage on the Internet. And then the government stepped in That's precisely for that reason. And that's why Microsoft got the shit beat out of it. And you're doing it again, Microsoft, now that you're no longer the company you once were. And you, <laughs> Google and Facebook and Apple and Amazon and everybody else uh, is in the spotlight. You think you can go back to your old ways of trying to um, lock your users into using your browser and uh, Firefox and Opera are calling them out. Rightfully so. Um, so, yeah. From the company that claims to be the most open with the most choice, I hope this is just a developer preview thing and the shipping version of Windows 11 lives up to their claims. This is far from choice. So, once again, some parts of Microsoft decided to force feeding their browser to everyone is more important than the reputation of literally everyone. And yeah, they're getting a whole bunch of blowback at, at the moment and deservedly so. <clears throat> so the next one is from Bloomberg that the SEC, the Security Exchange Commission, is suing three ex-Netflix software engineers and two others for allegedly using confidential subscription Subscriber growth numbers to trade ahead of earnings announcements. Oh, shit. You got caught. Oh, snap. That's a big no-no. So um, this is in, very simply what's called insider trading, which is some people have access to data, and that data is very valuable in knowing. Uh, you know all these quarter report data that we're announcing, like, um uh, for example, Netflix had this many new subscribers this quarter. Well, some Netflix engineers have access to that data before it's shared with the public. And that information is shared with the public at a preset time on a preset day months in advance. That's when they released their Q2 data. Netflix did it. Disney did it for their Disney Plus subscribers. All the tech companies do it. It intentionally, very few people in those companies have access to that data before it's released to the public and to the investor community on Wall Street, because as soon as that data is released, the stock moves rather substantially if the numbers are different than what the market assumed it would be. The market is trying to guess how many subscribers did Netflix get this quarter. That is by far the most interesting number to Wall Street investors and any investors. Does Netflix have uh, more than we thought they were going to have or less? 
Well, guess what? Engineers in the company know the answer to that right up and they know when that data is going to be made public and they might a week before the numbers are made public, knowing that the subscriber number is higher or lower than is expected. That's incredibly valuable data information. If you know in advance, Netflix did not get the number of subscribers that Wall Street's expecting them to get, the stock will go down, guaranteed, by a significant amount. And if you know a stock is going to go one direction or another before it does, you could then take out loans. You could go on Robinhood and some apps with a 100x margin, put in a million dollars, knowing with 100% certainty the direction a stock is going to move, you know, a day the tomorrow, I know with a hundred percent certainty Netflix's stock is going to go down ten percent tomorrow because I know we had less subscribers than Wall Street expected, so I can make ten percent on my money guaranteed tomorrow. Well, if you invest a million dollars, ten percent of a million dollars is a hundred thousand dollars. So I'm guaranteed to make a hundred thousand dollars tomorrow. But why stop there? Robinhood was letting people do a hundred x margin means. I can invest, I only have a million dollars to bet, but they let me do a hundred times my money. So I can bet a hundred million dollars. <throat> you see how that works? So now I'm betting a hundred million and I get 10%. Now I can get $10 million, even though I only have $1 million to play with. Make sense? It does. It's quite simple if you're paying attention. So this is if for anyone who has a million dollars and that data. And if you you could easily borrow, tell all your friends, hey, can I please borrow 100,000 for 24 hours? Knowing you, you of course, you're going to be able to pay them back. You're going to make 10 million dollars tomorrow. You Now you understand how valuable this data is to these engineers and how tempting it is to, you know, benefit from that data to make that trade. That's insider trading. People go to jail for that. Uh, who was it? Martha Stewart? Who was it that went to jail for insider trading? So the SEC. The Secu- yes, Martha. Yeah. The Security Exchange Commission. That's who is the police of this on Wall Street is suing three former Netflix software engineers and two others. So a total of five for allegedly using confidential subscriber growth numbers to trade ahead of earnings announcements. And that's what happened. The story I just explained to you. As a theoretical example, it was not theoretical at all. It actually happened. The group allegedly made $3 million in profits. As I said, exactly as I explained. So the scheme involved illegal trades on subscriber data, the SEC says. Oh, boy. You're going to jail. Big time. And as I said, how it's just insanely tempting to do that. It's it's millions of dollars. Uh, uh, wow. It's amazing that this, honestly, it's amazing this doesn't have, people don't get caught for this more often because you, given the, given, given the upside potential, the the financial windfalls, it's amazing more people aren't getting, obviously people do this and uh, it's just, it's surprising more people aren't caught for it because they're taking, they know they're going to jail for a very long time if they get caught. So uh, you have to take very great care to uh, hide that uh, that you're doing insider trading, of course. So, interesting headline. Um, I'm curious if they paywalled this one or not, and if not, if there's a, nah, they paywalled it. Um, so the person, three former Netflix 
software engineers, the, the person's names, or their naming name, Sung Mo, Sung Mo Jun, 49, 49-year-old, while employed at Netflix in 2016 and 2017, repeatedly tipped non-public subscriber information to his brother. That's how you do it. You tell a relative who doesn't work at the company, who has no ties at all, named Jun Mo Jun. So he told his brother, Jun Mo Jun, and his close friend, Jun Woo Chon, who both used it to trade in advance of multiple Netflix earnings announcements, according to Wednesday's complaint from the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commissions. After Sung Mo Jun left Netflix in 2017, he obtained the same subscriber growth information from another Netflix insider, Aiden Lee, according to the SEC. And now y'all going to have a real nice time spending the rest of your lives in prison. Ouch. Ouch, ouch, ouch. D- did it with their brother. Uh, wow. And and uh, and a friend. Would love to see the documentary on how the SEC uh, s- saw those data signals. Because they, they see somebody place a bet a week before an earnings re- announcement. That sends a red flag right away. Especially if it's a very large bet. <sighs> Come on. This is like real amateur hour uh, insider trading idiot idiocracy going on here. If it is what I think it is, D- telling a brother it, it doesn't say it doesn't say details in the in it, the Bloomberg article. No, it doesn't. How the trade was pulled off exactly, but, and, um, and I mean this is this is stupid. Yep. Uh, I mean, even if you're gonna trade on the inside, you might as well do it for a larger amount. You <laughs> might as well pull it off. Go ahead if and get, it, get a bill. Well, no, you, the difficult part is if, if you do over a certain <laughs> amount, you, it sends red flags and they sent red flags clearly. Yeah, but you can break it up, right? You can break it up in smaller T- pieces. Tell us how it works, Froz. If you're going <laughs> <laughs> to commit thievery, at least do it big and do it properly, man. I mean, that's all I'm saying. Do it like the big guys, you know, like the, like the this pros This message do. brought to you this message brought to you by Moldova. <laughs> uh, Tyler? Yes. Tyler. Simon. It's, hi, it's Simon. It's from Johannesburg. Um, I do not understand people who do that. Uh, I worked for U.S. software companies for a while, and every quarter you get told. Because, you know, if, if you're in the sales side, you know what, what's going on right. um, in terms of – and they tell you, do not do this. Right. Um, and as you said, you go to jail. Um, I mean, and the whole, what was that movie um, uh, oh, oh, 20 years ago about that um, with, um, I can't remember his name now, but it was all about the same same kind of thing. The guy who was trading off his, um, uh, you know, u- using insider information. And as you say, the, the SEC pick up these things. Uh, it is, whoever does this is absolutely dumb. Yeah. So the next big headline from Engadget that Facebook says it took action against 12 COVID vaccine misinformation super spreaders, but disputes claims that those 12 were responsible for 73% of misinformation on Facebook. Back in March, the Center of Countering Digital Hate published a report linking more than two thirds of misinformation to the dirty dozen or the misinformation dozen. And so Facebook says it's taken action against these uh, 12 COVID super spread, uh, misinformation super spreaders. But they they are disputing the fact that they are 73% of all misinformation uh, for COVID. And anyway, um, 
let's let's see if this helps. Uh, Gail King at the CBS Morning Show, which is one of America's biggest morning shows, exclusively asked Mark Zuckerberg how many people have seen misinformation on COVID and vaccines on his platform. And the number that I have off the top of my head that I can share is that the number of pieces of misinformation that we've taken action against. So he <clears throat> he doesn't have access to every data point that Facebook tracks, of course. <clears throat> But um, they say they've taken action. So let's see if it actually has any material impact, which is ultimately what matters. The next headline from The Verge, also about Facebook. As Facebook bans the Taliban, Twitter says it only takes action against accounts breaking its rules. And YouTube says it will terminate Taliban-linked accounts. Who will control Afghans, Afghanistan's official social media accounts now that the Taliban's in charge? Great question. And the New York Times and others, a lot of people jumping in on this issue. WhatsApp has shut down Taliban's helpline in Kabul that was allegedly set up by the Taliban for reporting violence and looting and other crimes. That's kind of their version of a 911 phone call. So except you text in to the official uh, WhatsApp account to report criminal behaviors of all kinds. And um, but it was an official Taliban channel. And Facebook has said. Even though WhatsApp uh, channels are uh, end-to-end encrypted and they're claiming they have no access to seeing what's going on in these channels, but the fact that the Taliban is saying, yes, this is an official government channel, WhatsApp has said, we're going to shut down any channels that uh, the Taliban takes credit for, regardless of what's being said in those channels. And whether it's being good, how for whatever reason it's being used. Um Anyways, but um, really uh, sticky ethical issue there. Um, So anyway, next big headline from Bloomberg that T-Mobile has now done their investigation about the big hack that was allegedly 100 million users. T-Mobile says in their investigation, they found that 7.8 million current T-Mobile users and over 40 million previous and prospective users who applied to be users, so for a total of nearly 50 million users, have had their information stolen in the cyber attack, including credit card numbers. uh, No, yeah, some of them were credit card numbers, social security numbers, and device ID numbers. And uh, Mark Risen, who's a a former tech journalist, he still does some, it says on Twitter, at this point, it would be easier for T-Mobile to disclose what data hasn't been made public at the company. Um, so the next one's from CNBC that NVIDIA is doing their Q2 revenue report. Um, Tyler, quick question, yes. just a quick question on, on, on the hacks. Is it just me or is it this year that the number of hacks that we've heard about has gone exponentially on a curve? There's no curve. It's just gone vertical. True. Yeah, the number of hacks is go- going a bit crazy. Right. Uh, and then I think I think you guys saw the, the last hack on the uh, DeFi, all the money got returned and they're actually offering the guy a job. Correct. Right. So yes, perhaps, perhaps this is the new way to get a job. I mean, well, that, yeah, but that, no, but that's not that, that's not new at all. Wants to hire a no, that's that's a that's that's been happening for years now where people who find vulnerabilities are offered offered jobs. That's that's been happening quite a lot historically that that bit's not new at all um it, it, i didn't know that yeah 
that's a common scenario that a company who when somebody finds a, a good vulnerability they're like ah you have a skill we could very much benefit from that that's not unique but um, I, I guess i guess we hear more hacks is also because we spend a lot of time on tech news around the world mm, yes and no the number of hack uh is going up the 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 the, the, the severity of the hacks is also stronger mm. um and I, I don't know what else to say yeah but the number is going up uh, notably, <clears throat> I was going to add, Tyler, that I'm also noticing that a lot more insurance companies are offering cyber uh, um, attack insurance, which is now I think becoming the norm. This is the year where, where I'm th- seeing that it's becoming the norm for insurance to offer it, and then uh, as part of that, obviously now. audit, audit, audit your processes, etc. For cyber, cyber, ins- cyber security insurance, usually they will not cover the ransom. Yeah, sure, but it's it's still gonna force you as part of the policy to upgrade your, you know, you can't have like no factor, you know, single factor authentication. You're gonna have to audit your processes. You're gonna have to take a serious look. You can't be like a, a, a you know, a company that doesn't do take it at all seriously. You need to actually like, yeah, because they won't give you the insurance unless you actually follow through and they ask questions. So there'll be a massive survey and audit of your processes, and if they find that you, you know, don't have a single factor, you know, don't have a, you know, a, a, um security uh, protocols in place, then, then you're not going to give you insurance. So it will force companies to take it seriously. Okay. So Maria, you, okay. I look like Maria made it up. She had her hand up and I invited her up, but did she jump on stage or not? No. Okay. Not sure. Tomoko is in the room. Yeah. Too, I just so. invited Tomoko up and Maria, Great. I had Maria had her hand Maria. up and I invited her up and then now she's not in the room at all. That's weird. Maybe she's going out and coming back in. So the okay. next big uh, headline is about, from TechCrunch, Twitter adds support for Twitter Spaces in its new API and says it hopes developers will build new products that let users find spaces more easily. Twitter is rolling out its changes and its newly rebuilt API that will allow third-party developers to build tools and other solutions specifically to um, drive more visibility around their Twitter Spaces. This is huge, and I'll explain why. But let me read a little bit of this article just so I can verify for myself um, what I believe is happening here. It says, Twitter's rolling out the changes to its newly rebuilt APIs that allow third-party developers to build tools and other solutions specifically for its audio chatroom product, Twitter Spaces, which is their carbon copy clone of Clubhouse. The company today announced it's shipping new endpoints to support Spaces uh, uh, with the initial focus of enabling discovery of live or scheduled Spaces. This may later be allowed by... um, an API update that will make it possible for developers to build out more tools for Spaces hosts, which means you can build all kinds of tools and dashboards for hosts like Club Deck, like I use here in Clubhouse. The company first introduced its the new support of With the current API update, Twitter host developers will build new products that enable users both on and off of Twitter to find Twitter spaces more easily. The company, so you don't even have to be on Twitter to find Twitter spaces. So watch what happens here. This is huge. And this could potentially broaden the reach of spaces and introduce its audio chats to more people, which could give Twitter a leg up in the increasing competitive landscape of audio-based social networking. Today, Twitter spaces isn't only taking on Clubhouse, but also audio chat experiences being offered by Facebook, Discord, Reddit, Spotify, and others. According to Twitter, developers will gain access to to endpoints and, and allow them to look up live and scheduled events using search criteria. So they also have the search feature that you can do off of Twitter. And it tells all the kinds of data that's part of the API, including 
metadata and metrics associated with the space, like the participant count, the speaker count, the host profile information, which language is being used, the start time, schedule time, creation time, status, and whether the space is ticketed or not, Twitter tells us. To choose which space functionality to build for standard. So what this means is, and I tested this myself yesterday in the room that Cheryl sent me at Bloomberg had their own little Twitter spaces room. I opened it not in the Twitter app, but in my browser in Chrome. I went in Chrome to twitter.com. I opened the link Cheryl shared with me about Bloomberg's Twitter space room, and it opened in my browser. Why is that interesting? So their twi- their version of Clubhouse not only works inside of their app, tw- the Twitter app that nearly everyone has installed on the phone, also works in the browser. That's super, super, super importantly interesting. Here's why. And these APIs uh, confirm what I was worried about, uh, which is now a Twitter space room, like this room we're in, can be embedded anywhere on the internet, like a YouTube video. It works in a browser and there's APIs, which means it can work off of Twitter's site. So you use APIs, you can embed that room anywhere you want. That's what that's how embeds work through APIs. So you can now it's a container. You get the embed code. You take your room or your Twitter space. You put it at the bottom of any blog post you write. If you're CNN at the bottom of your post, you used to have comments where jackass idiots uh, would leave stupid comments about, you know, the article they just read on CNN or BBC or Nikkei Asia. Every article we've ever read has a comment section. They could now put a room at the bottom of every post for people to talk about that article, which might include the author of the journalist of that article in that room and might include the people who that article is about. And now you can read the article and then join a conversation with the person who wrote the article and the person who the article is about. And that's fucking huge. This could absolutely, this could change the game hugely. And, and we know this because YouTube beat all of their competitors, which there was about a dozen of them, VO and Flip TV and Rever and Daily Motion. They all disappeared around the same time that YouTube made their videos embeddable for other blog bloggers to embed the video on their blogs so that you didn't have to know about YouTube to use YouTube. They weren't forcing YouTube to be the destination. YouTube was everywhere on the internet, on every blog, because they allowed the embedding of their video containers in other people's blogs. And now Twitter's doing that with their Twitter spaces. And now people are going to learn about Twitter spaces on every blog on the internet, because there will be conversations happening all over the place. But for Twitter space uh, context, you still need to be a Twitter member in order to access, right? I don't know if you, you probably need a Twitter account to get in the room, right? But here's where it gets interesting because now you potentially have tens of thousands of rooms happening at the same time. Maybe a hundred thousand rooms happening at the same time because you have them going on all over the internet all the time. And then whenever somebody makes a room and then embeds it on their site, well, it's still a room. If you're in the Twitter app and you're going through their hallway, my God, is there an endless tens of thousands of rooms of every topic you could ever imagine simultaneously. And that is the difficulty of uh, 
getting social audio to really work at scale, which is there's always an endless supply of rooms on every topic you could ever imagine about to engage in. I, to me, that's what I imagine. It, and that's why I've been ranting here in Clubhouse. You Flash your mics if you've heard me do this rant before, that what's actually going to determine who wins this is whoever does the embedding first, just as YouTube did. And that's how they won the video war. So now Twitter's done it. Here it is. Here's the headline. I'm reading it right now. They've now made the APIs available to do exactly this. And I saw with my own eyes on my own computer yesterday, uh, their space is working in a browser outside but of the, the app. Huh? So, but the thing is, you can also copy a clubhouse and embed in your website and they will just have to go in with their clubhouse membership, right? It's the same thing. You can, you can copy and paste a link of clubhouse on any website. They can just like on totally LinkedIn, different. for example, I can just click. It's the same, isn't it? No, it's not. It's, it's completely so impossibly opposite. Mm-hmm. Having a link to a room and having a room are two totally different things. Me giving you a key to my house and me giving you my fucking house are two totally separate things. But you still need the entrance ticket, which is the account to get in, right? It's. Cheryl, having a, a, a YouTube video embedded at the bottom in a web page and having a link to a YouTube video that sends you to YouTube is a totally different thing. API. Okay, got it. It requires an API, yes. And having a this room embedded at the bottom of an article and then having a link to this room embedded at the bottom of the article because... Uh, Yes, you you click the link of a Clubhouse link and it goes over to, uh, all it says is download the Clubhouse app. I mean, the links are still essentially broken between the web and um, Clubhouse generally. You don't just click the link and boom, you're instantly in the room uh, off of the web. Tyler, do you know if there's any technical limitations as to uh, whether uh, Clubhouse can just do the same thing and embed uh, 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 Clubhouse on on the web? It does have to be an app. I don't know. I don't like what Club Deck is doing. Club Deck is using the API of Clubhouse, right? Correct. Clubhouse has taken and by the way, Club Deck has feature parity with Clubhouse, meaning there is no thing in Clubhouse that you can do that you can't do on Club Deck. And in fact, there's a lot more you can do on Club Deck than on Clubhouse. But every yeah, it's on stage. there there is called feature parity. Every single feature that you can do in Clubhouse, you can do on Club Deck. And then there's more things you can do in Club Deck that you can't do in Clubhouse. Lots more, like like double. So um, this is what developers... And by the way, that's by design. Clubhouse intentionally limits the features that you're able to do because they don't want you to get confused. They don't want you to have too many features. It is possible to have too many features. It actually lowers the experience. This is a very common thing in app development where the more features you add, the more cluttered the app gets. That's not good necessarily. That's oftentimes bad. Many apps have died by adding too many features. But however, Club Deck is designed for the host and moderator uh, and has all the features and bells and whistles for the, mo- for the mods, which are priceless, uh, which Clubhouse, the app that most people are using, is meant for the listener and it's optimized for the listener experience. And that's great. That makes all the sense in the world. Have two different apps. One's that's optimized for the hosts. One's that's optimized for... Listeners, that's fine. That makes all that. so. And Twitter's doing the same with these APIs. That's and they even name the the 
data, uh, the datas that are accessible through the APIs. And so anyways, I'm just going uh, to... You we're... know, all the Twitter has to... Sorry, Tyler. Go ahead. Um, go ahead. No, I'm just, I'm just, cons- so, um, I just, I knew this, this, I knew this day would come that one would have. Clubhouse is destroyed. Huh? Clubhouse is over. No. Unless they get, unless they gear up properly, because think about it, right? All Twitter has to do, I don't know if, they, if this is what they'll do and how, um, how the laws and legislation apply, but all that, all that Twitter has to do is come after a couple of the top clubs on Clubhouse, offer them something unique and take them from here and start making them on Twitter spaces. And Clubhouse loses half its population. It doesn't have to do that. It's, it's, um, it's what this, this move. Plus this feature that you're talking this, about. This ability it's, to it's embed amazing. your rooms. Yeah. Because the room that we were in with Bloomberg, nonetheless, it had 2,000 people in it. And it was about Afghanistan. Was Bloomberg... They weren't because it's not available yet, but in the very near future, they would embed that Twitter space room we were that Cheryl and I were in with 2000 people at the bottom or in the middle of the Bloomberg dot com website on every article about Afghanistan, of which they have about 100 at the moment. So you could. So is is um, is. Clubhouse, the MySpace of social audio? Uh, in this context, it's more appropriate to say the the VO or daily motion of the video platform wars because YouTube was battling um, daily motion and VO. Uh, and VO was run by my friend Dimitri Shapiro and Rever was run in LA by uh, Steven. And, you know, everyone was competing to be the YouTube of, of that era YouTube won for two. I they say if you ask Chad, uh, Chad Hurley, and uh, Stephen Chen, the founders, why did they beat all of the other dozen competitors? They say their answer that they give is two reasons. One, they optimized for speed, which meant when you went to YouTube and you clicked play, the video played instantly, and lower quality but played instantly at a time when we were all on much slower connections. And so you had this positive experience. Every time you saw a YouTube video, you played it, it played. And that was a positive experience. And they didn't optimize for quality. They optimized for playing, which meant lower bandwidth. So um, that was their strategic choice. And that was the right choice. Uh, Other people were optimizing for quality and the video took three seconds to play. And that's incredibly frustrating for users. We now know based on user experience kind of research. So, um, to to Clubhouse's credit, they're optimized for speed. Clubhouse is op- way optimized for speed. Twitter is not, strangely. Um, like you said, like you said, Tyler, even a Zoom, just the tiny um, stepping over each other, like uh, even just like a half, ha- you know, extra couple milliseconds really affects the flow of the conversation. Completely. There I go stepping on you, right? Yeah, <laughs> just in, in your sure. interruption yeah. of me right I mean, there and whoever's interrupting us right now, that's only possible and it feels like an actual natural human conversation because of the immediacy of the speed. It's absolutely critical and a, and a 10 millisecond delay completely changes that dynamic and breaks it and it feels that's why zoom calls are taxing because you're constantly waiting are did they finish speaking or not i don't know mm-hmm. tyler another step forward sorry go ahead for us first you go ahead first 
Thank you. So tell, how likely is it that they'll be able to fix that in the short term? And, and then just Twitter? let me finish that with one other thought, right? Be yeah. The, de um, the delay? But just let me finish it with one last. Yeah, the delay. It's likely they'll fix it. And, and, but we got Pierre on stage. And right. Pierre built Club Deck based on the Clubhouse APIs. And Pierre, you can confirm that there's feature parity with Clubhouse, meaning every single feature in Clubhouse is in Club Deck? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Right. And then can you please, I, I'm tweeting out the article about the Twitter Spaces APIs. Have you seen it already? Yeah, I've seen it. I, have, I, think... I imagine you did because now you could build in, you could make Club Deck for Twitter Spaces, essentially. Well, not, not exactly yet, because the the actual part that they, they've opened to the API is just the discovery part. Uh -huh. So looking at, you know, how many spaces are open and, uh -huh. you know, meta, metadata yep. around those spaces, but you don't have access to the actual audio part. Ah. So, third, uh, so well, we, we could do it. I mean, we, we could do it like, like we did for Clubhouse, but it's not an official ah. API yet. Got it. And And... Coming back to your point about embedding those rooms in a web browser, there are some limitations around web browsers when it comes to live audio. Yep. Uh, I won't go too much into into details, but it's and that's essentially if you know there are a number of features uh, that are not yet available in in your Chrome browser, mm -hmm. for instance, to to have a, a proper experience, and that's that's you know that's that's a, a, a high limitation right now. To, to do something mm -hmm. like that. Okay. Um, sorry, go ahead, Cheryl. This time you go ahead. No, go I, ahead, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. I just wanted to point out something because um, this Twitter space, right, it is like when it's live, of course, everybody can participate. When But when it's over, it is the same as Clubhouse is over, right? The room is, has ended. But uh, if you have tried calling, Call in after the room has the live rooms have ended. They actually, uh, it actually remains as a podcast. Right. So I think that will be even more powerful. Yes. If they have that, can have that. Yeah, because room, when you're reading yeah. a Bloomberg article, yeah. after, if you're not reading it when the live rooms are, uh, you know, uh, occurring, you can actually follow up with that later on. Right. With that podcast recorded. Correct. Yeah. Somebody wants to speak? For a us. lady? No, a lady also. No. Okay, for us. <laughs> okay, if there's a lady, the lady can go first. I was, I was just saying that Greenhouse has a similar um, podcast thing where yeah. they have the functionality to re record the room. Yep. Uh, and then you you can make the choice of whether or not you want to release it afterwards. Yeah. So there are other competing platforms uh, with that same idea. Yeah. And for those who I haven't you done this. record rooms anyway. Yeah. So on. Oh, sorry. Yeah, we can in Club Deck. That's one of the features that you have is you I, you just click at, when the room starts. You just click record and it starts recording the room. And at the end, you get the audio file instantly with zero delay. And in Club Deck, you can click stream and send stream this room to up to thirty different platforms simultaneously, all at the same exact time. So. Um, yeah, there's all kinds of amazing features that can be added very easily, actually. the here Here's another interesting thing that people don't consider, which is, as you said, uh, yes, you can, you know, uh, once the conversation finishes, it can exist as a podcast, uh, listening to the audio, of course. Um, the other interesting thing is, and Twitter knows this, is that, and Google knows this as well, what I'm about to say, which is, remember yesterday, YouTube announced 
that they had a big headline that YouTube is now much more uh, the future of search, as it said in the headline, because now when you search on YouTube, you will see videos of not just your native language, but all other languages. And because YouTube has gone through and um, converted all of the audio into text in every video, and then is now able to translate that text into every language. So now speakers of Farsi who don't speak English or Thais, that's the example they gave in their article actually from YouTube's blog is like, if you're a Thai speaker and Thais don't really speak English, honestly, but now Thais have access to all the videos of the planet, not just videos in Thailand. And they're able to learn in, uh, from an MIT professor, online university series of, you know, anything. All of YouTube is now open to Thais in their native language. And this is truly uh, amazing. But what they were focusing on in that headline was the ability to search. So what if you do a search for some really obscure thing and nobody in your native language has made a YouTube video about it, but somebody in other languages has, and now you can benefit from that. So you search for, I don't know, um, you know, you pick your favorite weird example, but now the entire world is open to you. And YouTube content is all searchable in every language. Well, guess what? Google knew that future was going to happen 10 years ago when they bought YouTube. And that's partly why they bought YouTube, because Google was taking all of the content of every blog, every web page in text. And they were taking all of that text of every website and indexing it and organizing it to be searchable. And so when you search on Google, it would know which website had that text and send you to the best website for that text. And then comes along YouTube and they realize, ah, shit, this is very similar to a website. This video, it has a lot of content, a lot of information, but it's in verbal form and we could someday in the future index it and search it and make it searchable. And that was the headline yesterday that basically all of the, of course, it worked in their native languages first. We, we you know, when you do a, a Google search today, there's often a YouTube video that they recommend as part of the, you know, links that they give you that might, you know, be relevant to your search term that you search for is here's a video about that. And here's the part in the video where they speak about that. But that video is almost always in English. And now it'll be all other languages because they're now they're have auto translated and indexed every language on the planet. So why this is interesting is because audio rooms that we are in right now are essentially YouTube videos without videos. So every room conversation will be recorded, transcribed into every language and searchable because people are doing less and less blog writing and a lot more audio room talking. And this is the future of search, both live and canonical, which means historical. So you're seeing the beginnings of a future search engine based on conversations instead of blog post typing. So in the future, you will search for something, click, 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 and some search engine, maybe Google, if Google buys Clubhouse or Twitter is building a futuristic search engine based on conversations, Twitter might say, ah, you search for uh, table tennis. Here's 
500 rooms right now all live talking about table tennis. And here's 10,000 rooms in the past that spoke about table tennis. And we've done you the privilege of finding you exactly in the conversation the moment that had the most engagement about table tennis. And here's one from a week ago and a month ago and a year ago. And you can listen to those historical rooms as we're talking. Think of them a podcast if you want. But by the way, here's here's a room that was spoken in Japanese. But it doesn't matter. We've gone through we've done you the privilege of converting it into English for you. And now you see that Twitter now has insane amounts of content unimaginable amount of content to compete with Google for the future of search because in the future YouTube videos now make up a good percentage of your Google search results when you do a Google search very often you're clicking on a YouTube video now in the future you'll likely click on a live audio room that is either live or pre-recorded and Google knows this and Twitter knows this, and Clubhouse knows this, or at least they should know this, that this is the future of search. Because you're likely to, if you're talking about my child has a rash, okay, do you want to read a blog post about child rashes? Do you want to watch a YouTube video about child rashes? Or do you want to go into a room with doctors talking about child rashes? Now, live. Oh, gee, I think I want to go talk to some doctors right now about child rashes. Okay, fine. Here's a room of 10 doctors and 100 mothers all talking about child rashes. And here's 50 rooms talking about different rashes from different parts of the world. And here's a thousand rooms that have previously talked about child rashes. And here's the moment in those rooms where they talked about those rashes. Do you see now how powerful social audio is in the context of the future of search? I hope you do, because that's the game. And that's why Andreessen Horowitz has invested uh, at a $4 billion valuation. What was it? $100 million that they gave them in the last round or something something very big like that. So, um, yeah, it, it's not a trivial. It, this is not just podcasts, folks. This is the future of search. So um, it's interesting to see Go Google, very notably, has been absent from this space thus far. But will uh, it's very possible Google might acquire Clubhouse, and then if we if we're, we're talking about Twitter having an asymmetrical advantage by embedding, you know, uh, their Twitter Spaces into any website, that would give them in the short term a huge advantage. Um, and if it gives them too much of an advantage, and it, and Clubhouse starts to, you know, it'll be interesting to see what uh, what Google does in this space. Can, the, can you imagine? Can you imagine regular non-peer-to-peer social commerce or, or regular, you know, e-commerce, but with the social element of people like you're browsing this item and you happen to be there talking with 20 other people that are browsing it at the same time? How, like, how would that change the game too, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that, yeah, like you're asking the same questions. Maybe yeah. there's a moderator there to add, answer yeah, but that, questions. But that's what yeah. the Asian live streaming is, is it's audiences watching together. But but what I mean is if you have someone like a Google, right, uh -huh. or even you hooked up with uh, Shopify yeah. and you did the, the social audio, that, that plug-in component, it, it's like 2005 when every every site had comments and then the comments turned into crap, right? Um, I think, like you say, every site's going to have this social audio plug-in component. And if you are teamed up with Google or a bigger outfit like that, 
you know, they would want to uh, team up with every website, just like they do AdWords, they would, you know, do do a plugin that's keyword specific to those rooms. So I'll shut up now. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of interesting uh, opportunities. So back to the headlines, we still have a few more of the big headlines to get into this one from The Verge that Senators Markey and Blumenthal asked the FTC to investigate Tesla's marketing of autopilot saying tesla has repeatedly overstated the capabilities of its vehicles that could be a problem the next one is from the verge podcasters say that apple's podcasts uh and they have a new feature called apple podcast connect a requirement for using its new subscriptions product is buggy and has a confusing user interface in April, Apple Podcast was poised to revolutionize the industry. It announced an in-app subscriptions so people could subscribe to podcasts in the same way that people subscribe to YouTube channels inside of the app. And you could have paid subscriptions so podcasters could start monetizing. And Spotify instantly did the same. So you could subscribe to podcasts in Spotify and have paid subscriptions to podcasts. and. Um, it announced, yeah, and basically podcasters saying that this Apple podcast feature called Apple Podcasts Connect is uh, super buggy and whatnot and um, not terribly surprising, honestly. Apple kind of is not so strong in, in those social, when anything that comes to social, Apple really struggles with. So the next one, Cisco did their quarterly earnings. Who cares? Coinbase has $4.36 billion in cash reserves as of June 30th, about four times higher than at the end of 2020 uh, as it prepares for possible tighter regulations. Reuters says they have sources that chip maker Global Foundries confidentially files for a U.S. IPO with a valuation of $25 billion, planning to go public in early 2020. Canada Drives which is a company called Canada Drives, which launched an online used car shopping and next day delivery service last year, raises $80 million. And a company called One, a digital bank aimed at middle class, raises $40 million. One, a startup that aims to bring all-in-one banking to middle class, announced today it has raised $40 million. Samsung confirmed it will not show ads in... It's uh, apps going forward. Amazon is emailing some third-party merchants, warning them that Congress's proposed antitrust reforms could limit their ability to sell on Amazon. And while Facebook will let full-time U.S. employees work from home until January 22nd, I'm sorry, until January of next year, contractors at Accenture have been required to be in the office since August 2nd. And a look at the race between the autonomous trucking companies, Two Simple Plus and Embark Trucks and Aurora and others in the race to achieve level four autonomy and other interesting headlines at the moment, uh, data visualization and naval That's pretty much it for the uh, big stories that everybody's sharing. Um, so let's get into the actual really fun articles that uh, we as the geek community of the world have found uh, online and are sharing together on Twitter. So um, from the top, what do we got? This one from um, P. 
P.T. Yoder in the audience. This is kind of a two-part thing. Um, well, basically, Palantir has bought $50 million in 100-ounce gold bars and in preparation for what they say is a their, a black swan event, which is a black swan event is, you know, a, a calamitous, rare event that comes along, you know, once in uh, every few decades that changes the game fundamentally. Mm, you know, like, like a small... Kind of there's yeah. a little bit of confusion there. Okay. There's um there's some articles saying that they've bought it, and there's some articles saying that they've received a payment in it. No, they they have bought it. They've not only have they bought it, they've they, they've disclosed where they've deposited it <laughs> in the northwest of the U.S. They've deposited, and they've even given further details of where they've deposited it, which is it's in a place where they can withdraw it 24 hours, which is obviously not a conventional bank. So, um, okay, because there's another article which basically means that there's another article that's saying that they're open to receiving payments in it, correct, as Sep- well from some clients, yes, okay. And those are two separate issues. The fact that they've uh, acquired 50 million dollars in gold bars is one thing, the statement that they're willing to accept payment in gold bars is another separate but semi related issue, which I think is just genius PR. Because basically you have com- companies stepping all over each other to announce that they're accepting Bitcoin payments. And now here's Palantir kind of laughingly um, giving a big middle finger to everyone saying, that's great. You're accepting Bitcoin. We're accepting gold fucking bars. This is where I wish Ken was here, but I thought it was illegal to use gold as legal tender. Yeah, Ken would be uh, good to comment mm. on that. I mean, at least in the United States, right? Like you can't. Like we can't like we can have gold jewelry, but we can't pay people with gold. I thought that was like the one, you know, one of the things that changed when we did that. I, again, that's why I wish we had Ken. Go ahead and let me look. You can use it, Chris. You can use it as Okay, yeah, you can't use it as legal tender, but it's an asset. Yeah, you could you could collateralize it, uh, Chris. And um, if you were going to do a deal, you could have that gold be completely the collateral and just have the deal stand for it. But it's interesting that Tyler said they're doing this for a black swan because J.P. Morgan, I believe, we were in tech news about eight months ago or something, said that they were sitting on a bunch of cash to head for a black swan. I think it was Jamie Dimon, and you covered it, Tyler, so that's intriguing to me. Okay. So... Um... And then, I'm sorry, just so just so I don't sound like a total idiot, Louisiana, Utah, and Texas have legalized gold and silver for legal tender. So. Okay. Thanks for that clarification. The next one is uh, from someone in the audience uh, from Taiwan News that China to build airport in the sea near Taiwan. Proposed airport uh, near Pingtan Island would cost $463 million. And um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a hot politi- global poli- political issue. And it kind of relates to the next headline from the same person in the audience sends in the separate one, which is uh, from Nikkei Japan that Germany heads to the South China Sea. Um, a German Germany scene they are sailing into the region. Yeah. So, but it's not just Germany. Germany now, and now France, and Australia, and Japan, and India, and America, and the UK are all uh, have their navies in the South China Sea. 
and um, uh, it seems like there's a bit of a showdown uh, about to happen. They're there. going. They're going there for the ribbon cutting on that new airport that's going to finish. Next <laughs> <week>. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's why they're there. Uh, they want to see that airport uh, development. Um, Does anyone know why the ta- why the Taiwanese are bringing all their money home? There's something going on with China refunding something or doing something where all the Taiwanese are closing offshore accounts and bringing money home. Haven't seen, can you send a link on? Anyone that? know anything about that? No. Are are is that being? Yeah, I'll for, find it. Okay. For Roz, it's been you know I'm Taiwanese, so I I, I but I'm, I'm I'm apple pie American, so I've had to study this right, and I read a book called China Inc. And it really describes what happened is that. Taiwan kind of thinks that they're kind of pulling, getting one on on China. Meanwhile, China kind of feels like they're getting one up on Taiwan the entire time. So, like, it's kind of cat and mousey, you know, um, at least 10, 20 years ago in this book. And it just says that, like, they go to Shanghai and they kind of feel like they can kind of take advantage of the Chinese again. But the Chinese have the last laugh because the Taiwanese can never really take their money out of the country. And so it's just, you know, I, I think I think things are just going to go down. So people are just getting all their stuff out of China. OK, so um, COVID slows Apple and Google's production shift away from China. And there was another as well. Uh, suppliers say tight border controls now due to um, Delta is slowing Apple and Google and Microsoft and everybody's ability. They were in the process of moving their production from China to Vietnam. But now that Vietnam and China are now locking everything down due to Delta, it's slowed down their ability to relocate to Vietnam. And the next one is um, the S, according to Heyman, he sent this one in from Bloomberg that the Security Exchange Commission, the SEC. Just sent it to you, Tyler. Thank you, Ross. The SEC leans hard on China IPOs to show how they're set up offshore. Chinese companies applying to go public in the U.S. are facing increasingly detailed questions from the Security Exchange Commission about their offshore structures, meaning we don't want you here. <laughs> you're you're uh, you're not even setting up your businesses properly. You're giving, and then previously they've gotten in a lot of hot water and trouble over their accounting policies. And so the SEC is forcing them to use uh, more traditional accounting uh, policies because the, the big Chinese star, Starbucks competitor basically imploded because they were um, had really shady accounting policies and the company imploded. And so uh, America doesn't want Chinese companies IPOing in America no more. And China doesn't want Chinese companies IPOing in America no more. So it's a very mutual feeling on both sides on that point. So here's the one from Faraz from Bloomberg that Taiwan rushes to bring money back home as tax break scheme ends. And it says Taiwanese companies uh, made a last minute rush to bring their money held overseas back home before a two year government incentive program came to an end Monday, but total applications still fell well short of initial bullish estimates. Companies applied to bring home $2.9 billion in the month leading up to August 16th, a more than 490% increase from the previous month. According to data from the ministry of finance firms have repatriated, um, 
billions of Taiwanese dollars back to Taiwan since the government first launched the program in 2019. So basically, Taiwan is trying to get more of its company's monies back natively. America would love to do the same. A lot of American companies who do business globally, America would love them to bring the money back into American banks so they can tax it. And those companies intentionally are not bringing that money back so they don't have to pay taxes on it. <laughs> If you keep that money in Europe and don't bring it home, um, you you know, this is an, an old game, you know, um, so. Can I just be a nerd real sure. quick? Because it'll never make sense outside of this. Yeah. If you click that Bloomberg link and it's paywalled, somebody at Bloomberg doesn't know how to do math because they'll give you a month for $199, but charge you $340 for a year. So somebody put the decimal in the wrong place. Funny. Maybe intentionally. Um, the next one is TikTok and Canva. Canva, everyone knows what TikTok is. People don't know what Canva is. Canva is the new version of Photoshop. Basically, Canva figured out a way to build Photoshop in a browser. That's even better than Photoshop for most use cases. It's absolutely brilliant. It's fantastic. It's booming. It's one of the fastest growing tech startups I love it. anywhere. We love it. It's amazing. And um, so TikTok and Canva team up to streamline creative advertising for small businesses which is a really smart partnership. So that's the headline. Simple as that. The brands are partnering to help streamline the creative and ad production process of creating TikTok ads and publishing to TikTok ads manager. So it, to make ads, you're going to need something like Photoshop and TikTok says, fuck that, use Canva because it's all online in a browser and you could build it in Canva, click a button and publish it directly into TikTok. Genius, absolutely genius. So uh, Canva has built a library of 50 TikTok ad templates constructed to ensure brands are always on. And so it's got all the dimensions built in for you. And so you can tell Canva, hey, I want to build a TikTok ad. And they're like, great, here's a template. And then you click publish and then boom, it gets sent over to TikTok. Genius, absolutely genius. And that's why uh, Canva is just destroying Photoshop. Just one more example. And Tyler, yeah. I saw something... Uh, about from WordPress, so they're doing they're, they're having they're doing the same kind of thing with Canva. Yes, uh, true. I, I saw that headline as well. We about just recently. So and Tyler, yes, Canva is very inexpensive. Yes, practically free. I mean, for the most part, it's yeah. free, and they're very clever about how they charge. Is they let you use the core features for free, and then they have if you want to export it for printing, or if you want to export it as a PDF, then you pay for these, uh, you know, add-on features. It's, it's, And even subscription yeah. is very low price. Yeah. So I would strongly recommend everyone. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think uh, Tyler... Oh. Go ahead, Dallas. I think the low-code, no-code, you know, it's a space I'm in, Tyler, which you know, but that's going to grow phenomenally where people can just do no-code or low-code to create apps and other things, and it'll sort of be very baseline minimum, and then they upgrade as they pay more, you know, so it'll be um, horizontal for places like Africa and America and, and, you know, disenfranchised communities where they can get on board with digitization. A lot of this, in my opinion, is an adoption to digitization, which we're going to be heading in, especially with COVID, which keeps continuing forever. 
Um, so. Okay. Um, on the topic of COVID, here's one from Evan that more than 1,000 COVID deaths recorded uh, in a single day, which is kind of, we passed a new concerning record there. And then here's a whole bunch more. Moderna is about to start testing its mRNA vaccine for HIV. So you're going to have a vaccine for HIV. That's fantastic. And then the next one is from South China Morning Post that Japan is developing AIs and satellite systems to track foreign ships in its waters. The new maritime surveillance system will scan Japan's vast exclusive economic zone and flag any suspicious activity to the Coast Guard. And I, Jeremiah, uh, who joins us regularly, responded as I, the same thought that I have, which is uh, just kind of a surprise that this hasn't happened already. Like, this seems like something they would have had a long time ago. Um, a, Val Kilmer, uh, who played Batman and other interesting roles over the years, lost his voice back in 2015, but now AI has given Val Kilmer his voice back. But critics worry the technology could be misused. And um, it's now, yeah, it's just digital voice printing. So he could act in movies now, and then they could read in the script and do it in his voice. Now an actor who didn't have his voice now has his voice back, thanks to AI and voice printing. Drone delivery is live today, and it's 90% cheaper than car-based services, according to Forbes. We're delivering coffees, says MANA CEO Bobby Healy told in a recent episode of the Tech First podcast, we're delivering burgers and fries, we're delivering ice cream and everything else. And you can, I just tweeted the article out to the Tech News Twitter account at T-N-A-T-W. Amazon may be, oh, you uh, you re- okay, so I just tweeted that out. You can read that for yourself. But yeah, companies are doing deliveries. And here's one about blood, brains, and burgers. The future is lab-grown everything. Science fiction has long floated the idea of a device that can produce any kind of object one can imagine. Star Trek called it the replicator. And um, indeed, there is lab-grown beef and blood. And now we did see one about brains. And we're also seeing milk. And why not human milk? If we're going to grow cow milk in a lab, shouldn't we do human milk? Because uh, I don't know in what way is cow milk superior to human milk in, in, from a lab. And if we're going to remove the ethical issues of beef by making it lab grown where no cow is involved, wouldn't that also remove the ethical issues of drinking human milk if there's no human in the process of making the milk? It's just healthier milk. Stop calling it human milk. Let's just call it super milk. <laughs> it just happens to be a lot like human milk, <laughs> but no humans involved. And maybe that would remove people's hesitancy of drink drinking just, just call it lab-grown milk. Don't even say if it's cow or human or whatever. Gene. Precisely. Yeah, whatever milk it's based. Super milk. That, that's it. That's our new company, Cheryl. Let's call it super milk. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the next article is from... Oh, the Twitter spaces. We covered that. The Apple leaker. This one from David Crace in the audience uh, that smart city companies in Norway are quick to respond to COVID-19 crisis, resilient, sustainable, and agile. The time for smart cities is now. Cutting edge Norwegian companies can lead the way. 
And Cheryl, you sent this one in from the Wall Street Journal that at least two U.S. officials stationed in Germany have now sought treatment for symptoms of Havana syndrome. According to American diplomats, some officials say the unexplained illness could be caused by attacks using radio frequency energy or microwaves. We don't know. But this whole phenomena started in Havana when the U.S. embassy reopened. And now it's spreading to Austria and Berlin. So what the hell's going on? Noticeably, do we, it wasn't. Do we have a timeline? Like when was the first incident? Uh, shortly after the U.S. embassy opened in Havana, reopened in Havana, and I was there for that flag raising, and that was around 2013, 14. The reason I ask is I used to be in the lighting industry. And there was a um, lighting called plasma bulbs. And basically, they're like um, metal halides, except there's no electrode. You basically aim uh, radio waves at it, and it'll light up. Um, That company got bought by a Chinese company and then shut down. Um, And I want to say probably around 2010, 2011. So when I was studying it, I said to myself, like, what what these things are is they can take um, the shape of metal and make it into a lens for radios, like basically focusing a magnifying glass. And I basically said in my mind, like, oh, shit, once they figure out how to, you know, make this variable f- focal length uh, game over, like they're going to start ah. using this as a weapon. So you could. So you, I don't know. You could focus it on a particular distance, like 20 meters or 30 meters or exactly. 40 meters. It's just like a magnifying glass for rate for, for microwave. Ah, well, holy shit. We may have cracked the case on this one. Uh, if I don't wake up tomorrow, you know what happened? Yeah. S- send me the DMS, uh, on the receipts on that. So we can, um, inform your next of kin. Yeah, that's what that that could be it because it's suspected that it is microwaves. That's been the theory all along, but they don't understand that no one seems to understand the technology of um, how they're amplifying the micro uh, and and targeting the microwave. Because the company that was doing it was called Topanga Technologies. I might as well just say it now in front of 400 people. Um, And that company, if you search it, they got bought out. There's another company called Luxim. Hold on. That also makes plasma. Topanga um, Technologies. Technologies. I got it. It's it's now the website's now totally gone, but well, there if, should be if you look at them. Let's see. What does Google say? There's a LinkedIn page. There's actually topangatech.com. There's a Crunchbase profile. Coastal Ventures. Coastal Ventures gave them like 70 million. They're from Canoga Kano- um, Park. Yep, yep. That's how I know them because I was in the aquarium lighting world. So we were using them for aquarium lights. And let's and see. what's different is, you know, in the United States, uh, people that use radio frequency observe the FCC like you have to be in certain megahertz ranges. But if you got into the like 2.4, uh, which is microwave, you could really cause a lot of damage to a human body, you know. Topanga develops efficient plasma lighting technology. Topanga has designed a novel solid-state driven source design with high lumen per watt energy efficient exceeding HID metal halide, HPS sodium, HMI halogen induction. And induction is that remote kind of powering, right? Um, Yeah. And LED light sources designed to replace the inefficient lamps in outdoor and commercial environments. So if 
and the induction is done through plasma? Uh, well, basically, Microwaves. there's a little, yeah, there's a little capsule of um, of gas, and they, it's like a look. The, this thing looks like a cup, and apparently, the shape of the cup makes the beam um, aim right at the little capsule, and it lights up the capsule. And to add to the creepiness, the inventor, uh, God, I can't. His name is Matt Espiau, S P I A O A U. If you Google his name, he died in a plane crash about two or three years ago. Uh, he was commuting from somewhere in like Antelope Valley uh, down to the valley, and he died in a solo plane crash. Uh, so, you know, it's it's really interesting because he was a military guy. So, so every time I met him, every time I met him, because I do CNC work, he'd be like, hey, can you machine me a lower for an AR-15, you know? <laughs> so. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me. They, it, 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 yeah, it's confirmed that Kosla Ventures invested. And, Co and for those who don't know, Vinod Kosla is a absolute one of the smartest people in all of tech history. And he's one of the uh, very uh, deep, sci deep tech science in, like investors. That's kind of their game is investing in cool shit like this that is beyond uh, the, the knowledge abilities of most investors. And... Um, so this is right in their wheelhouse and they did invest and that means it likely does work and it was... and then the la and then sorry Who... the last twist do you know the, the name last do, founder. You do you know the name of the company that acquired it I don't but the company that's left is a company called Evanesque that's now working on a medical device focused on radio ablation of tumors so if they're killing Shit. cancer with RF imagine what they're doing if they didn't want to kill cancer um yeah it's APL series plasma light and then you said the the other one luxem brings american lighting tech to china yeah luxem is oh wow they they went to china too interesting so luxem is in an article it says it's just a press release it says uh the technology and lineage of lighting company luxem are both notable and we'll cover them in a bit, but the real news is, and the inspirational takeaway from this company is that it's selling its American design lighting technology into China in high volume and innovative green tech firm funded by VCs generating revenue with sales from China. It would seem to be a model for us green tech leadership and economic recovery, 50 employee company, uh, financed in 2004 with funding from Sequoia capital. Also one of the biggest, smartest VCs on the planet and has since taken a total of $90 million from VC investors the company's technology. was So, so Matt was the co-founder of Luxem too. Well, it says, yeah, the tech, the company's technology was demonstrated by Nikola Tesla a century ago. Luxem's tiny glass bulb is filled with argon, mercury, and metal halides and RF radio frequency is applied to the bulb and is uh, which excites the gas, causing it to glow and emit intense light, obviously mercury content, da, 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 da. but I guess it's using, yeah, uh, uh, inductive um, microwave at a distance. And like you, to your point, if you could magnify and articulate the distance, then you could, like a magnifying glass, like when you fry ants, you know, with sunlight through a magnifying glass, you could do similar harm to people with microwaves through a similar type of lens. Yeah. And no, this is all, you know, as I'm talking it out with you, I'm literally, it's, 
all adding up because again now if you look for the next company evanesc e-v-a-n-e-s-c they're doing brain tumor ablation with the exact same technology so like they're using it uh, they've made this little skull cap that will focus the beams and basically aim and kill cancer yeah i got it right here from um one of the leading medical journals evanescence uh and endometrial carcinomas vanishing uh there the recognition of vanishing endometrial carcinoma is a distinctly entity and it's that most important to me um so i essentially using the same process but in closer proximity right where you can yeah so what it is is um god i i I remember i was reading the deck but i forgot now but basically there's some rf stuff that happens to human cells or any kind of cells where they stop replicating um or they stop expanding during a certain phase uh mitosis I, i don't know if you remember that part of biology but Whenever mitosis happens, this thing stops mitosis, and mitosis is when the cell splits. Hmm. Well, that that goes all the way back to the very first comment when we opened the room today, which was Nostradamus, who pre- actually predicted that that they would fix uh, kind of diseases with radio waves. And wow. and just to add to the conspiracy. Um, yeah. You know, uh, Tyler, Nikolai Tesla did something called his death ray um, because I've been researching Nikolai Tesla for a while. And so what Chris is referring to is, yeah, that he he believed that, you know, everything is um, the Earth magnetic field at the core of it. Just simplifying it can be magnetized in a sense. So there's energy that you can bounce off of and then transfer things at a distance. So there's a Wikipedia, there's a Wikipedia page on it. It says the death ray or death beam was a theoretical particle beam or electromagnetic weapon. First theorized around 1920s or thirties around that time, notable investors, um, such as, uh, Marconi and Tesla, uh, and others claim to have invented it independently. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, yeah, <laughs> this is kind of wild, Chris. You, Sorry to monopolize, man. No, it's just that's... how crazy. That, that's that's the amazing part about this room. And I was talking to Heyman offline. It's like it's the morning drive where you can actually chime in. <laughs> yeah, but the just the idea that this could be what this um, Havana syndrome is about is this microwave, you know, magnification and... Uh, being able to focus it. At no, a I mean, distance. it totally makes sense, right? Because your brain and Cammy's here. I don't know if she's awake, but I think your brain is constantly like rebuilding itself. So if you it, get it hit is. with this thing, yeah. if you get hit with this thing and your brain's not rebuilding that part anymore, you know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Chris. I've heard so many times that we're constantly, our brains and neurons are replicating themselves daily. Um, and so if, if there's an interruption in that, you can get this autism or a gap Hold you on. Know, from medical doctors. Hold on. That, that, let's, Charles happens to be in London at the moment, and so he's awake, and he, he knows a lot of folks at the FBI, and they are trying to figure this out. And let me just take a little second here. He's very active on Messenger here. 
let me just shoot our friend Charles a message here, see if he'll join us and see if we can um, get an F the FBI interested in this our little conspiracy theory here. So uh, let's, in the meantime, um, let's move forward here. That's the Havana Syndrome article. The next one is from William about Polycam's new photo mode to create detailed 3D captures from any iPhone. And this is, you got to see this stuff. I'm tweeting it out now to the Tech News Twitter account where you can scan any object and turn it into a 3D virtual object that you will in the future put in your 3D virtual world when you have VR or AR glasses. And they're doing an incredible good job of it. Create super detailed 3D captures, works on any iPhone, export to many formats, now available in the iOS app store. So this is Polycam and today launching photo mode to take Polycam to the next level. And they've made this cute little ad, even works on old iPhones. Oh, you can, what it does is, because the older iPhones don't have LiDAR cameras, what you do is you take a lot of photos as you circle around any object in 360, and then it auto-magically converts it into a 3D object for you, a virtual object. That's wild. So the next one is an explosion in electronic payments powers startup boom in Nigeria. The country's econ economy may be struggling, but its fintech groups have attracted more than $1 billion in venture capital in the past two years. And that's the necessary financial layer that you need to uh, enable all the other innovations to build on top of, which is the fintech layer. And now Nigeria's had a billion dollars of venture capital funding in the fintech startups. And that's why the headline reads from Financial Times, explosion in economic payments powers startup boom in Nigeria. Exactly right. That's what happens. The fintechs get funded and they enable e-commerce and everything else. So the next one up is uh, Facebook is sharing data to prove it's not a political hellhole. <laughs> is the uh, jabbing uh, headline from Protocol. The company published a report on the most viewed content on its site, which executives say most accurately represents what people see on Facebook, but not engage with, because we know what they engage with is the far right, Dan Bonagino and uh, videos. Uh, but now Facebook is trying to release data to show that what people are exposed to is not necessarily all the far right stuff. That's just what they engage with. And the next one is from Renjant about a company called PhonePay in India just raised $700 million in a new round with participation from Tencent and Tiger Global. And it's trying to be India's payments app, like the, the WeChat of India, the default payment app. And there's a huge race to be that in India at the moment. And if you can be that, you're going to be worth $100 billion. And getting 10 cent support is huge. And that, and then Rengent also just sent in this video of a drone firefighter. And it's a very large drone with a lot of water. And it can fly very high and be used to put out fires. And it can shoot water very, very far out of a wire, water hose. So actually, it looks like the hose goes down to the ground. And then there's uh, water pumps uh, tied to the drone. And then the drone can fly like any other drone can and be 
strategically placed to put out fires. So it's a firefighting drone, a really cool looking video. Just tweeted to the Twitter account. And then Edwin just sent in this one of um, a autonomous race car race, electric race. Uh, it's the, a, 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 there was a race of race cars, but all of these race cars are fully autonomous and they're racing each other on a track. And the winning team was from Eidenhoven, uh, and they win the first autonomous race in Barcelona. And you can see the autonomous race car. They didn't make that like Mario Kart. Yeah, but it's interesting in the future, no doubt, the autonomous cars will beat the human cars. And uh, because they, uh, have, they're able to take more chance and are more articulate and everything else, it's going to be amazing to see how that works out. I think I think like when the cars can deploy like countermeasures, you know, <laughs> that that really will stretch or test the AI, right? Like if you can dodge a dodge a hammer, you can dodge anything. Yeah, the next is from Cheryl from the Wall Street Journal that Pacific General and Electric, which is the power company on on the west coast of America, it said it was cutting power to thousands of homes in Northern California to reduce the risk of wildfires because it seems they were the source of one of the big wildfires a month ago and to um, limit the potential for that happening again, they're cutting off power to thousands of homes. As high winds were poised to hit the area where the Dixie fire still rages now. Good times. A lot of people without power. And then IKEA starts selling renewable energy to households in Sweden. And the world's biggest furniture brand is branching out into selling renewable energy to households, starting with the home market in Sweden in September. And YouTube Theater is now open in Los Angeles, Hollywood Park, a new 6,000 seat venue in Hollywood Park called YouTube Theater. And Facebook shuts down our research into its role in spreading disinformation is the headline from The Guardian. And it talks about either the NYU or the the Berlin team who are both recently claiming it's about the NYU team, this one. Last week, Facebook disabled our personal accounts, obstructing the research we led at NYU New York University, to study the spread of disinformation on the company's platform. The move was already compromised our work, forcing us to suspend our investigations into Facebook's role in amplifying vaccine misinformation, sowing distrust in our elections, and fomenting the violent riots at the U.S. Capitol on the 6th of January. But even more important than the effect of our work is what Facebook's hostility towards outside scrutiny means for many other researchers and journalists trying to study Facebook's effects on society. We've already heard from other researchers planning similar projects who are now pulling back. If Facebook has its way, there will be no independent research of its platform. So just shared that one. Thank you, Poppy. And then Mahogany sent in this one that scientists genetically engineered prehistoric proteins to detect diseases. How a curious ancient protein could be the next frontier in, of imaging. How scientists turned a curious ancient protein into what could be the next frontier. Um, scientists genetically engineer prehistoric proteins to detect disease. How uh, these locators could eventually be used to watch neurons and spot early stage diseases. 
And the next one's from Vox, why no one really knows how bad Facebook's vaccine misinformation problem is. And that's related to the previous article I just read. And why climate change could make some places colder, according to Yahoo News, as much of the Northern Hemisphere continues to bake in a year of unprecedented heat waves linked to climate change, one paradoxical um, consequence is rising global temperatures is that some areas of the world could become much colder. And this is, as every Northern European knows, about the Gulf Stream. Because there's a current or stream in the Atlantic Ocean that brings warm currents from near Florida up to Northern Europe. And it's slowing down. It's already been reported to be slowing down the Gulf Stream. And that means the warm air from Cuba up to Scandinavia is slowing down. And if it slows down more, it will make uh, Scandinavia likely uninhabitable. It will have, you know, minus 50 degrees. And um, yeah, so... Do and this is due to climate change. It's actually due to the melting of uh, Greenland is introducing too much uh, fresh water, and that fresh water is slowing the current, and that slowing current means less warm air and water up in Scandinavia, which means it will freeze. There you go. And they, the, by the way, Scandinavians have been worried about this for decades, and now it's starting. So the next one is tech billionaires back Northeast England as a green electric hub, including Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos funds transport and innovation in a region with key. And I, I probably know more about this than the journalist who wrote this does. What it is, is it's called British Volt. It's a new gigafactory, just like Tesla had to build these massive battery factories called the gigafactory outside of Reno, Arizona for the production of Teslas. Uh, and just like my buddy Peter had to left resign from Tesla as the chief product officer and head of supply chain to build similar factories in the north of Sweden so the Germans could have batteries to make their cars electric. Now there's a British company completely copying Peter's North Volt, calling it British Volt, with nearly the same font in their logo. <laughs> Same name, same font. We're just copying it. Fuck it. We don't have any ideas of our own. We'll call it British Volt. Same logo. Who gives a fuck? And uh, indeed, more of these big battery factories are needed all over the planet as car companies want to become EVs, as they need to be, because consumers want that. And governments are insisting on it. They're not allowing you to build con uh, combustion engine cars anymore. You, those will no longer be legal to sell in the next few years. So you need to build one of these factories costs about $4 billion, as my friend Peter knows. And he raised the $4 billion for the first factory, and he's now raising more for a second factory already. And now the other smart people are realizing we need more of these factories. There's more demand than supply. And that's why uh, Britain is building one of these factories. And Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos are not stupid people. They, they know the math, and they themselves are building uh, and, and supporting and investing in what, and so the headline, why tech billionaires are backing a Northeast England green electric hub is because they know how to do fucking math. It's really simple. There's huge demand for batteries for EV vehicles. 
there's actually the need for about a hundred of these factories globally to convert all of the car manufacturers into EV vehicles. This is, you know, we've only got a less than a dozen at this point. So that's why Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos is more than happy to throw as much money into this as is needed. And there's $4 billion needed for each factory and there's a hundred factories needed. So that's $400 billion needed. And they've, the math is super simple. There's huge demand, not enough supply. Build the factory. Here's the money. Take my money. I already know there's huge demand for this. So there you go. I'm packing that headline in a way that even the journalists themselves doesn't know. So the next headline's uh, from Mahogany via South China Morning Post. The headline reads, China's wealthy are urged to give back to society to ensure common prosperity. You know, communism. Remember that? President Xi Jinping chaired a meeting of the Communist Party's Central Committee for Financial and Economic Affairs on Tuesday, and he said it's China's wealthy need to give back to society to ensure common prosperity, a key objective for the next stage of China's development. So get ready for more taxes. It's just a, Uncle Xi's nice way of letting everyone, all the wealthy people know they're going to have to pay higher taxes. Now that we've locked you in on our own currency and we've locked all the borders, you're not going nowhere, wealthy people. Nice try. <laughs> but now that we've secured the borders and got you on our own currency, you're fucked. There's no way for you to get your money out. And now we're going to increase the taxes. Really clever. Uncle G ain't a dummy. He knew what he was doing. When he brought out the central bank digital currency, forced it on everyone and locked all the borders. Here come the big taxes. And uh, the next one is drone delivery is alive today and it's 90% cheaper. And we covered that one already. Thanks for that. And then Tomoko sends in this one uh, from Japan that a Japanese stamp company. And for those who don't know, stamps in Japan are used as an alternative to signatures. Japanese people don't sign their name uh, as Westerners do when they're signing documents. They use a little special hand-carved stamp. And so this Japanese stamp company uh, have started to develop an NFT-based e-signature company. And that's really clever because there are several e-signature digital signature companies. And... and but to do it based on NFTs is truly brilliant because now you have the proof of signature and all of that is quite, quite clever. Tyler. Yes. I just tweeted two things, but one of them you'd find very interesting. Okay. Your friend Jack Dorsey uh, is getting involved in uh, Bitcoin mining with Compass Mining. Oh, is he? Yes, I just tweeted it right now, and I tagged you as well in Jack. As somewhat predicted one, that Jack would start yeah, getting no. big into acquiring Bitcoin in, <laughs> exactly. in ramping up the inevitable announcement that they're going to bring Bitcoin-enabled, Lightning-enabled Cash App wallets to every Twitter. All 350 million Twitter accounts are now going to have Cash App wallets that are accept Bitcoin enabled by Lightning. And if he was going to do that, and he is going to do that, if you're paying attention, he's rather about as obvious as one could be without actually putting out a press release. Um, then he would start acquiring lots of Bitcoin, knowing that that is going to increase the price of Bitcoin rather significantly. And now we're seeing signs that he is indeed acquiring lots of Bitcoin. Tyler, the second one's also interesting to, to what Tomoko said. 
Um, Alibaba has also gotten into the NFT game. It just came out yes. about like 23 hours yeah, ago. We, I don't know if you covered it. We did in the last meeting. Uh, and, yeah, I missed it. And for those who don't know, uh, click on the title. You can see our schedule where we meet twice every day. And when we met last time, we did cover the breaking news that Alibaba is getting into NFTs. And that's huge. That's probably the biggest player yet. Um, to an- but it's also very interesting, Tyler, because of the CBDC and they're getting to NFTs. Hmm. David might be able to help us with this one. Yeah. And he's, he was also into the NFT scene in China. Yeah. And- with Poly, which is the second largest auction house. So, yes, very interesting how they're going to handle the process of that NFT. Yeah. And how to purchase it and navigate the transaction. Yeah. And while we've got you here, Amy, let's talk about so- this one. Uh, that the uh, Dutch central bank warns that Binance is operating without a license. <laughs> I was trying to get there. I was trying to get that one out last night, but I got into the stage late and I just was listening and then I forgot it. But yes, they're, uh, you know, they're cracking down in Holland now too. So it's uh, Binance. I still have my prediction or my speculation that with the, before the end of the year, Binance will have some charges bought up against it. Mm-hmm. Amazon removes... Uh, their hub lockers from two Chicago parks after public outcry. A private locker from Amazon blocking part of the public sidewalk. And you can see this unbelievable photo of an Amazon hub locker system blocking a sidewalk in the middle of a community park in Chicago. The next one from Poppy via Bloomberg. Waymo is 99% of the way to self-driving cars. The last 1% is the hardest. The world's most famous autonomous car shop which is Google's company, Waymo, has lost its CEO and is still getting stymied by traffic cones. What's taking so long? Is the article from Bloomberg that I just tweeted to the Tech News Twitter account. Citywide gunshot detection audio system. Yes, your city has microphones all over the city listening for gunshots and other disturbing sounds. To, um, that is uh, not known by most folks, but uh, we covered these headlines a couple weeks ago. But this new system could be bolstered and improved by roaming AI self-driving cars. And indeed, they could. And you could have uh, the microphones of the self-driving cars driving around could also be listening for sounds. Gunshot detection systems are standalone today, but the future might involve leveraging the advent of self-driving cars as an ally in ascertaining neighborhood noises. Very clever indeed. The next one is from BB, who's in the audience and sends in this one from Nikkei Japan, that U.S. and China tech juggernauts battle over Asian clouds. A massive 170,000 square meter structure is going up in China, about 20 minute drive from Singapore's center. Uh, Oh, no, maybe it's in Singapore. It will be Facebook's first custom built data center in Asia. And a company called Chiron Global Survey finds 32% of office workers waste half a day or more on tasks better suited for bots. And Nulormi sends in this one from Wired that they had, uh, the headline reads, they'd rather quit than end the remote working dream. Forced returns to the office and pay cuts for remote workers are clashing with those who never want to come back. And you just heard me read the last headline about bots, right? (laughs) So, um, yeah, people would rather quit than end the remote work, and uh, they want to work remote. 
and they want to move to Thailand and live on a beach with the world's fastest internet connections and, uh, you know, have their own masseuse, have their own driver, maybe an electronic bike. I don't know, maybe a, a vertical liftoff and landing electronic. Maybe have, maybe actually have water. Have your own water, <laughs> your own farm with it, with your own farmer making your own food for you and cooking it for you. It's not bad. Let me tell you. <laughs> uh, yeah. People would rather quit than uh, end the remote working dream. Yeah. Work, work from wherever you want. It's a big world out there. Some places getting, I know a lot of places are having drought. Other places are getting more water than they used to get, believe it or not. So uh, figure that one out. The next article from Anita sends this one in from MIT about how in-store tech will transform retail. In-store technology promises a better customer experience and fuel for improved retail analytics. Oh boy, the likes you can't hardly imagine because all of the tech and data applied to e-commerce is now gonna come to your store because the cameras are gonna watch your eyeballs and figure out which items you spend more time looking at. It's called eye tracking. It exists now in e-commerce. The camera in your devices are watching your eyes when you look on websites uh, and when you're shopping and they know which objects you're looking at and for how long. And that determines which ads you see if you don't buy them. And now the same thing's gonna happen in your goddamn supermarket as you walk down the aisles. All of that tech of you know, data and e-commerce is coming to brick and mortars very quickly, most notably in Amazon's uh, Amazon Fresh stores, but coming to every supermarket soon in the future. And a delivery company in Indonesia called Rara just raised a bunch of money for its ambitious on-demand delivery plans in Indonesia. As Now every corner of the world is getting into the 10-minute delivery game. And stop using Zoom. Germany tells Hamburg uh, the state government has been formally warned against using Zoom over data protection concerns that the data is being routed to America, and that's all about sovereign clouds. Germany doesn't want uh, any German agencies using Zoom because the data gets sent to America, and they don't like that, and they want all the data and all those calls being kept in Germany. And now you know why China government was cracking down on China's Uber called Didi when they tried to do an IPO in America. And then the Chinese authorities showed up 24 hours later and shut that shit show down, claiming it was all about the data and the data security and the data and the data and the data. And it turns out, why is the CCP so worried about the data from their Uber called Didi? And it turns out because Didi has cameras inside the cars because of a rape between a Didi driver and uh, and a female passenger. And so they fixed that problem by putting, installing, requiring video cameras with microphones in every car. And the CCP members ride Didi every day, multiple times a day. And they have meetings in the backseats of those cars. And some of those conversations, if revealed, would likely crumble the CCP and cause a huge uprising and a revolution in China. And they know that. And they couldn't risk those conversations being leaked publicly. So they sh shut down uh, an incredibly huge IPO uh, and the company and stormed the HQ and secured all the servers knowing that there was likely conversations in some of those backseat meetings um, which were an existential threat to their regime. So no IPO for you, Didi. We took control of your servers. 
And Germany's telling uh, all of its government agencies the same about using Zoom. They can't risk somebody saying something that could be of a national security concerns. It's called sovereign clouds, folks. Every government is now woken up and understanding data and want to make sure that any data is secured in its territories, in its geography, just like they take great care about all the money coming in and out of their country and all of the people coming in and out of their country. And that's why they use their own currency and their own state issued IDs called passports. And that's why they want to control the data going in and out of their countries. And they want complete control of that data. So uh, the next headline is from the New York Times. And this is adding more credibility to the fantastic headlines we read yesterday that a laser fusion experiment unleashes an electronic burst of optimism. Even scientists who were skeptical of work at the National Ignition Facility at the Lawrence Livermore Laboratories, which is where this shit would happen, um, have called the results a success. And if this is true, it looks like we will have cold fusion, they're claiming, in the, in the next decade. And if that's true, uh, climate, uh, the crisis might be over uh, on time because this could give us abundant, endless, free energy uh, and that is uh, creates no CO2 in doing so. It's basically we've harnessed the power of the goddamn fucking sun on Earth. Uh, So, yeah. Abundant, literally all energy will become free instantaneously is essentially what happens without producing any CO2. And uh, that would be the biggest happening on planet Earth uh, since Earth began. This would this is the biggest news. This is the biggest thing that has ever happened to humans in our in human. Tyler, Tyler, do you want me to see if I can get my friend Alex in who's uh, been working for TAE? Yeah. So okay. yeah, I um I, I had linked him LinkedIn him to tell him how proud I was that I heard him his name mentioned here. Yeah. Well and, there's uh, this is he was like what radio show? Yeah, this is the uh, there's two yesterday simultaneously. One is the National Ignition Facility at the Lawrence Livermore uh National Laboratories. That's what this New York Times article is about, where they're claiming they have ignition, um, which is the kind of the hardest part. Um and then his team is doing the other part, which is the sustaining. Um, and they're able to keep the plasma sustained. And if if both of these are correct, and it's looking like the Lawrence Livermore uh, National Ignition Facility claims are true, because other scientists now in the past 24 hours are looking at all of this. And they're validating the headlines from yesterday. Um, and Tyler, yeah. is this the one in Los Alamitos? Uh, yes, it is. So um, I'm tweeting out the article now, and let's pray to God this is true, because if so, this is the biggest thing that has ever happened in the universe, other than the Big Bang. And it's on par with the fucking Big Bang. That's how big of a news this is. If humans are able to control cold fusion, we're essentially controlling miniature Big Bangs. Big Bangs. Yeah, on Earth. And that's a lot of energy. That's more energy than we need. yeah, it's wild. It's going to take us into an interstellar uh, society. Correct, because then the whole rocketry and, and, you know, the whole difficulty of getting out of orbit and getting to the moon and getting to Mars is the the energy uh, aspect of it, honestly. Um, 
so if you could use plasma uh, and and cold fusion in rockets, the size of rockets could become incredibly small, by the way, because when you look at like the Falcon Heavy and uh, the Starhopper and all of you know what Elon's doing with SpaceX, 95% of those vessels is the fuel um, in those rockets, in those boosters. So it's, uh, you could have potentially incredibly smaller, uh, you know, ion rockets and whatnot. It could be mind blowing. Anyway, so the next big headline is uh, from the New York Times the biggest digital media company in America you've never heard of called Red Ventures. And they've, Red Ventures has turned very specific advice into very big business. And um, you can read all about that from the New York Times. Just tweeted that out. And Snopes retracts 60 articles plagiarized by its co-founder. And according to the New York Times, Snopes retracts, uh, and it says, our staff is gutted. The fact-checking site Snopes has banned David Mickelson, who owns half the company, from writing articles after a BuzzFeed investigation. And um, shit's going down at Snopes. The next one is wearable battery, a flexible wearable battery, stretchable and sweat-powered. And you can actually see this in the image I just sent uh, to the Twitter account. It's a flexible wearable sweat-powered battery, which you could power your watch eventually. And high-powered laser closes in on nuclear fission ignition. It's, everyone's excited about this uh, um the field of nuclear fission has seen some exciting advances of late with scientists demonstrating how fuels can be heated to the temperatures needed. And uh, that's another version of that article going out. Report slams blue hydrogen as worse for the climate than gas or coal as it leaks. And people are trying to figure that out. China's artificial sun just smashed nuclear fission record. The formidable reactor reached 120 million degrees Celsius for an astonishing 100 seconds, and this is then uh, from June, but uh, somebody felt the need to share that um, uh, in a response to the the National Ignition Laboratory news. But it looks like if if this is true, America will pull way ahead of China in the cold fusion game. And the next one is molecular farming means that the next vaccine could be edible and grown in a plant. Indeed, using genetic engineering and synthetic biology, we can introduce new biological pathways into plant cells, turning plants into anything we want them to be. Vaccines as as a medicine, we can genetically engineer a plant to be itself a... um, an alternative to a tablet. It would have everything that we designed the tablet to have in the form of a plant. It grows and then you eat the plant just like as you would take a tablet and it could be a vaccine. It could be whatever we want it to be. And that's a a really interesting point. The combination of genetic engineering and synthetic biology. You genetically engineer the solution, the mRNA vaccine, and then synthetic biology is you can grow a plant into having anything you want it to be you combine those two things and now you've got an mrna vaccine in a synthetic biological plant yeah that's going to happen those two technologies merged together that's what you get 
The amazing thing about that is this whole issue of vaccines for COVID grow around the planet. You could then, we already have the genetic engineering down. That's what mRNA vaccines are. The problem is the distribution. We can't distribute the vaccines fast enough. They're trying to get on ships and airplanes to Taiwan and Thailand, and we can't get them. They're all wherever the factories are. But if we could start growing them in fucking plants, physical green plants, then all you got to do is, you know, send the seeds out, start growing farms of this shit everywhere on the planet. And then Thailand could grow farms of their vaccines. And they would grow from the goddamn ground. And then you just hand out the leaves like salad. And people could take their vaccines edibly in that way. That's truly unbelievable, but truly realistic future ahead of us. It's it's wild. We're living in the renaissance, the, the new renaissance. It is. It's so amazing. It is fucking unbelievable. And if you don't understand synthetic biology, I think people are starting to understand genetic engineering. When And by the way, we had the headline 20 minutes ago that um, Moderna is now doing an mRNA vaccine for HIV. And by the way, they're going to do mRNA vaccines for every disease known to man in the next three years, if not nine months, because this due to alpha fold, they're able to figure all this shit out, like cooking up a batch of cookies. So the problem is the distribution of the vaccines. And that's where synthetic biology comes in, because you could then send over the code digitally and say, here. Uh, grow grow this um, synthetic biology uh, through a plant, and uh, this is just wild. You're right. This is when you start combining these technologies. It's it's they're called concrescences, where you have a symbiotic uh, concurrent technologies that can combine to form things that you would will blow our minds. And this is a great example. It's truly you're you're right. It's a new renaissance. It's unbelievable. The next one is scientists used CRISPR to engineer a new superbug that's invincible to all viruses. Told you. <laughs> this is the kind of shit that happens when you combine CRISPR, which is genetic engineering, uh, to synthetic biologists. Oh, can we reprogram existing life at will? To synthetic biologists, the answer is yes. The central code for biology is simple. DNA letters in groups of three are translated into amino acids. Lego blocks that make proteins. Proteins build our bodies, regulate our metabolism, and allow us to function as living beings. Designing custom proteins often means you can redesign small aspects of life. For example, getting a bacteria to pump out life-saving drugs like insulin. All life on Earth follows this rule. A combination of 64 DNA triplet codes or codons are translated into 20 amino acids. But wait, the math doesn't add up. Why wouldn't 64 dedicated codons make 64 amino acids? The reason is redundancy. Life evolved so that multiple codons often make the same amino acid. So what if, what if we tap into those reductant, redu, uh, redundant extra codons of all living beings and insert and instead insert our own code? A team at University of Cambridge recently did just that. In a technological tour de force, they used CRISPR to replace over 18,000 codons with synthetic amino acids that don't exist anywhere in the natural world. The result is a bacteria that's virtually resistant to all viral infections because it lacks the normal protein door handles that viruses need to infect the cell. But that's just the beginning of engineering life's superpowers. Until now, scientists have been able to slip one designer amino acid into a living organism. Uh, 
the network opens the door to hacking multiple existing codons at once, copy editing at least three synthetic amino acids at the same time. And, and when it's three out of 20, that's enough to fundamentally rewrite life as it exists on Earth. We've done that through liberating a subset of codons for reassignment could improve the robustness and versatility of genetic code expansion technology, according to doctors Dalia Jewell and Abhishek Chattery at Boston College, who were not involved in the study. This work elegantly transformed the dream into reality, hacking the DNA code. Our genetic code underlies life, inheritance, and evolution, but it only works with the help of proteins. And uh, the article goes on and on and on. And uh, indeed, the unimaginable is now on the doorstep. So the, and by the way, the dystopian use case of that is genetic engineers, bad actors will make incredibly deadly viruses with 50% mortality rates that are airborne. That's coming too, very fucking soon. That means COVID with the 50% mortality rate is just around the corner. That's what that means. And and all you have to understand is David Evans at the University of Alberta already made it in his lab to prove that it's doable. And he did it for relatively low money at a relatively low budget lab at the University of Alberta, which is by no means uh, a a renowned laboratory. And he did it with himself and two assistants with mail order genetic material that anyone has access to and with a recipe downloaded from the open Internet. And all it takes is one individual who has the means to do that, uh, who thinks there's too many people on the planet causing too much greenhouse gas to make that. So you connect those dots. How many people think there's too many people on the planet who have access to that technology today? I don't know, just a few thousand. So scientists use CRISPR to engineer a new superbug. We covered that. Thank you for that one, Poppy. And then Mahogany sends in this one from Yale. That uh, Yale study finds social media really is making us more morally outraged. Platforms like Twitter may amplify ingrained human behaviors, but a future filled with healthy discourses and productive conversations isn't impossible. And artificial hearts, a fully uh, the Syncardia 70cc total artificial heart commercially approved total heart replacement is now available if you need a new heart. And India now has four EdTech unicorns, thanks to $4 billion funding flowing since 2020. And a lot of that in the last month, ever since China shut down the EdTech market. And a lot of that money is now pouring into India, which is now the world's biggest EdTech market. And now they've got four new EdTech unicorns. And from Ashton Kutcher to Elon Musk and Jack Dorsey, fanatical Bitcoin investors are poised to take a larger role in politics, which is ironic because the the real vision of Bitcoin was to have nothing to do with politics and fully circumvent politics rather than kiss their ass. Uh, Fuck them. They can't shut it down. That's truly decentralized. But you now have two different Bitcoins, the fully decentralized Satoshi version and then the fully controlled bear hugged version that, of course, Jack and Elon have to play with because uh, the government knows who they are and can put them in jail, so they don't have a choice. They have to play with the government-controlled, bear-hugged version of Bitcoin. I, I, I think these guys are smart, though, because, you know, 
democracy or representative democracies, whatever we are, um, it's late republics. Um, you know, we can vote people out and it, it doesn't take much, you That's know, a great point. Chris has a great you, point. You just have to, you just have to, you just, you know, you can either fight the government and, and be a rebel or, uh, you know, the, like the wild west and like play games, or you could just take the ball be a be a be a decent human being and and go for it you know yeah. like i hope somebody does yeah you have a great great point which is if we have the political will to remove all of the people well this is the problem is you'd have to get enough people fired up to replace all of the politicians who object to fully decentralized bitcoin that would be an, an undertaking a political undertaking unlike anything we've ever seen and you could do the same for uh climate change or any other issue, but the the likelihood that we're going to be able to get um, replace enough people in power uh, in our government uh, to all vote in favor of incredibly strict, you know, greenhouse stuff, which is counter to you know growing the economy and the traditional metrics that governments judge themselves by. So it's, it's very, very, very unlikely, but not impossible. <laughs> so we'll see. The the next one is from Mahogany that about from space.com famous Einstein equation E equals MC squared used to create matter from light for the first time. Two colliding light particles were used to create matter. And indeed, that's what the Einstein's equation says, that energy is equal to mass times the speed of light squared. And this equation says if you smash two sufficiently ener energetic photons into each other you should be able to create matter in the form of electrons and indeed that's uh someone is claiming to have done that for the first time they've turned light into matter as as einstein's uh, elegant equation predicts okay. what the hell is going on right now yeah. like 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 literally in like a few weeks or a yeah, month shit's going months, down all of these major like historical milestones are just around the corner. It's amazing. And and equally, um, yes, Ellis? Yeah, just to add, CERN was working on that with their particle accelerator. They're shut down for a few years, but they're coming back online, I think, next year. And so it's intriguing because the smashing of atoms and so forth, which was, some would say, create antimatter. But if you can create antimatter, you can create matter, which is the opposite of matter, but you can just measure it. So... It's intriguing that these reports are coming out with, with research and scientists, because I think we might have crossed, like Chris said, maybe we've done it a few years ago, we might have crossed some sort of threshold where there's an old saying, you know, once one person knows it, scientists or any other, we all kind of connect ourselves sort of in the metaverse without even knowing each other, and we're working on the same similar shit, and then you just have a watershed moment, so. Okay. So, um, other interesting headlines at the minute here. We've got this one from Dr. Fran that even North Korea is using VR and AR in classrooms. Not even a second world authoritarian regime can ignore the impact immersive technology is having on modern education. Just tweeted that out to the Tech News Twitter account. And this one is really interesting. According to the Washington Post, they have a quote. The Taliban's social media tactics show such skill and anal and analysts and and analysts believe. Okay, 
let's try that again. The Taliban's social media tactics show such skill that analysis believe at least one PR public relations firm is advising the Taliban on how to push key themes, amplify messages across platforms, and create viral images and videos. Next thing you know, they'll be twerking on TikTok. Qualcomm has unveiled the world's first drone platform and reference design that will tap into both 5G and AI technologies. Now Qualcomm's getting big into the drone game that are run on 5G. That that would be wild because currently drones run on, um, well, not 5G, but on um, kind of your home wireless phone technologies. Uh, 3G, 3G light. They run on 3G for the most part. And then not even 4G. Yeah, but if you could get drones that are controllable, well, here's the point: is you have a drone, you have a controller in your hand. And the controller connects directly to the drone, right? And not it's separate from any network. It's a, just a direct connection. And it's a radio frequency of, you know, whatever the frequencies are. And, but, and that limits the range of the drones to about 10 kilometers. But if you could get drones to fly, because you need very split second, you know, reaction times with the drones which 5G enables, 4G does not. So if you have enough 5G antennas in an area, you could control the drone with your phone through 5G. The drone's connected to 5G, your phone's connected to 5G. You have a 5G connected to the drone. Now you have unlimited distance to control the drone as long as you have 5G. As long as there's a helium nearby. If, uh, if Right, because Tyler, you, you do have to have, like the military when they do drones and so forth, they're not necessarily doing a network. They have to have some sort of a satellite or, or radio frequency to bounce off of in a certain area and then to be connected to that controller. So it wouldn't need to be LAN or WAN stations, you know, wide area networks, local area networks that are cellulars or mobiles in different areas to be able to control that. But you need something to ping one back and forth to the you know, to triangulate the three signals. That's all I'm saying without being too geeky. Yeah. But you, you need a point. You need you need a triangle point, a triangular point on three three spots to be able to prove that. Yeah. So the next headline is another 10-minute delivery <laughs> company in India called Grofers offers 10-minute online grocery deliver in 10 cities. It's all coming. 10-minute delivery. You can't even get to the supermarket in 10 minutes. Holy shit. This is wild. It's coming. Uh, Marines successfully fire new Nemesis anti-ship systems. The U.S. Marine Corps successfully fired its new anti-ship missile system, hitting a target off the coast of Kauai, Hawaii, this week. Um, Not coincidentally, uh, in preparations for what's brewing in the South China Sea. By the way, America just sent its three nuclear submarines to the South China Sea. And it, this is a, a very historic event. Uh, we don't ever send those three nuclear submarines to the same location at the same time, unless we are preparing for war. So just so, just to keep you a little updated, little wink, wink, uh, this isn't really widely reported, but uh, you didn't hear it here. But those three submarines, which don't travel together ever, Never. It's not needed. You don't need to do that <laughs> unless you're planning for just, uh, just, 
just out of strategic, you can't have them together. Correct. It's like the Coca-Cola formula. You can't Correct. have those two people flying together. Correct. Is this tied in any way to the Black Swan event that Palantir is planning for? Uh, <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. That's exactly what I'm thinking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it, it does. Is, it does. Is an official does Tyler issued t- code red for everyone to. <laughs> uh, by the way, Mabwana, um, it's worth noting that Palantir does a lot of data analysis for a lot of governments and their. In, um, in- exactly. That's why I put those two together. I was like, oh my God, this, they, must be, they must know something we don't. Indeed, they must know something we don't. The- this does always tie into gold, though, remember, because all of this is because, you know, of Bretton Woods, where Nixon ditched the gold standard and and basically needed somebody, a, a country that wasn't using gold reserves to find as a customer for the fiat currency. And so we we bought cheap goods. We turned our back on Taiwan, who was in the U.N., um, because we had to sell our dollars to somebody. And the buyers of the dollars were exchanging their labor in exchange of cheap goods for that. So unfortunately, this all just is like a 50-year catch-up of something that we started that was about gold. So I think this is why Palantir, I, I think with all of the the de, the decoupling of the financial system, we might be moving back to a gold standard. Well, and that might be what it is. Well, the thing is, and, and hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hang on, hang on, hang on. This could all be adding up, actually, because gold, their placement in gold means the dollar could collapse is what it is. I mean, let's just, let's just be really clear about that, right? So why would the dollar collapse? And what does that have to do with Taiwan and China? Well, it has a whole lot to do with it because China holds so much dollar debt that they could make a maneuver that would force the collapse of the dollar, which is why uh, if we recognize Taiwan, by the way, if, oh, wow. If America recognizes Taiwan, China would have to retaliate in a huge way. They've even said that. And the biggest move China could pull is not a militaristic move. It's a financial move. To dump the dollar. Which they're shaping. Right, which they're shaping up to be doing anyways. They're giving lots of hints that they are have motives, uh, interests in doing that anyways. So it was a, unfortunately, I I love the United States, but it was a Ponzi scheme. Well, the dollar part is anyway, uh, Ellis. Yeah. And one, and one thing which is really deep, Tyler, I think you might see a crypto, a state backed crypto backed by gold, which has been talked about before or certain assets, um, of a statewide, you know, digital currency, that's crypto in, in nature of Bitcoin, but not Bitcoin, um, that would be centralized. And that would then hedge the trading uh, for the different countries to be able to trade with each other and settle beyond the dollar. And if, if anyone was going to threaten that, the U.S., the, the, three, the nuclear subs are really making me nervous tonight. I hope I can sleep because you're right. We never send those anywhere. And Um, We would threaten if there were going to come out and say, we're just going to come out with our own digital currency and trade amongst our countries. And it's extremely intriguing about Afghanistan, because Afghanistan has, you've covered this many times, 
the, the materials, the rare materials, which is the future of artificial intelligence, which I'm in, silicon, everything, everything that will be the future, um, Afghanistan has that. The opium thing is it's side, it's a sidebar to me, but if you're looking at the future macroly, um, that's that's in game. That's in game at that point because if they can control those materials, and then they have a currency, a cryptocurrency that they can trade with, um, that's not you know tied to tethered to the dollar, then China, it, it's game over. So. Um... A few more articles here is from Abjit, who's in the audience. A serious warning issued for millions of Apple iPhone users, according to Forbes. My phone is no longer a phone. Warn iPhone users as a serious new problem is found in the latest iOS update. What are they referring to? Let's find out. In recent months, iPhone owners. Oh, they paywalled this one. Spotted by 9to5Mac, an increasing number of iPhone owners running the latest uh, 14.7.1 update have lost access to cellular data, which has rendered their devices useless without Wi-Fi. Interesting. And then the next one is from Katerina from the New York Times saying, what if you could become invisible to mosquitoes using CRISPR? Genetic engineering scientists have taken the first step towards creating mosquitoes that is blind to human hosts. Ah, and so they're not just making, this is really clever. It's more clever than I thought. They're not just removing the eyeballs from the mosquitoes. They're removing the kind of heat sensor signature that allow mosquitoes to target humans. They're able to target everything else, but just not humans. That's brilliant. It's more humane. Yeah. Hackers backdoor the human brain successfully extract, what is this one here? The headline reads from Jason. Uh, hackers backdoor the human brain successfully extract sensitive data. While a chilling hint of not-so-distant future, researchers at USNICS Security Conference have demonstrated a zero-day vulnerability in your brain using a commercial off-the-shelf brain-computer interface, which is a device that reads your brain waves, essentially. Um, I guess it's a non-intrusive brain-computer interface because it's off-the-shelf. The researchers have shown that it's possible to hack your brain, forcing you to reveal information that you'd rather keep secret. As we've covered in the past, a brain-computer interface is a two-part device. There's a hardware and a headset, blah, blah, blah. And um, to extract this information, the researchers rely on what's known as the P300 response, a very specific brainwave pattern that occurs when you recognize something that is meaningful like a person's face, or when you recognize something that fits your current task, like a hammer in a shed, the researchers basically design a program that flashes up pictures of maps, banks, and credit card pins, and makes a note every time your brain experiences a P300. Afterwards, it's easy to pour through the data and work out with fairly good accuracy where a person banks, where they live, and so on. In a real-world scenario, the researchers foresee a game that is specifically tailored by hackers to extract sensitive information from your, from your brain. Or perhaps <clears throat> an attack vector that also uses social engineering to lull you into a false sense of security. It's, har <clears throat> it's harder to extract data from someone who knows they're being attacked, and so they have to disguise it as a game. <clears throat> but they show you images and then measure your responses to those images. So they could show you your bank's logo and then 
if it's your bank's logo, then you're going to have a different response in your brain than if it's not. And then they could show you numbers and your brain will have a different response to the correct numbers that are your bank account, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So <clears throat> that's sort of the idea. And I've lost my voice, so we're going to have to drink water. I don't have any water handy. So we're going to end here at the top of the hour and we'll join again Thank in you. five hours for another Thank you. Tech News Thank you. Thanks, Thank Tyler. You, Thank you. Be safe, everybody. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Have a good day. Tyler, warm water. Yeah. Warm water. Not no, 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 no.